Welcome to Subtitles On. Thanks so much for tuning in again, ladles and jelly spoons, assuming you've listened before. But if it's your first episode, welcome to the pool. Get on in Mm -hmm. here. The water's fine. Uh, The show's called Subtitles On. It's the only podcast about movies. And it is also not a podcast where we just watch the movie. We read the movie. Okay. And that's why the subtitles are on because the movie was written in their format to be read. It is uh, an art form where I think people forget sometimes that it's about the reading. I'm here today, of course, with incredible guest Bang Rajman, aka Ben Rogers, aka the Nasty Boy, and he's wearing his yellow tinted sunglasses. Mm-hmm. He has written for Workaholics. He has written for Star Trek Lower Decks. He's also one of the hosts of the Action Boys podcast, uh, the Raj Tapes, um, Cowboy TV. Mm-hmm. So um, am I leaving anything out that no, you want to make sure it gets out there? No, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's perfect, man, uh, because we're here to talk about <laughs> things that we're glasses. Of. Yes. I've been told uh, help uh, your mental state and help mm-hmm. you get less depressed. Now, I yeah. was told this by someone. I learned about this. By a yellow glasses salesman. <laughs> well, they killed themselves. <laughs> they killed themselves. And that was the part that they that, that I, I'm trying them even mm-hmm. with the proof that they don't work. Right. Well, you don't know. I mean... You don't know, first of all, if they were wearing them enough. That's what I was guessing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, maybe they didn't have them on at the time. That was actually my first question. Well, can, can I talk yeah. about this? Like I, you know, one of my many sort of jobs I had before finding my way into the job of writing, which is what we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a licensed massage therapist. I know. And so we're friends. You So when you do this, <laughs> like when you have a job where you're a massage therapist or yeah. you're a chef or you sell yellow sunglasses you're doing this at work all day. Right, so you don't And then when it. you yeah. get home at night, you may not want to cook a meal. I get that. You may not want to give a massage to like uh, um, a client at a spa who yeah. lives, you know, right next door to you. You may not want to mm-hmm. um, put on yellow sunglasses. Yes, that makes sense. And so it's like, uh, I don't want to feel like I'm at work. But actually, for this person, because going to, who you like, mentioned, they, they probably should have wanted to feel like they're at work. Yeah, the neighbor who had a spa next to you—that does still seem like where it's not like mm-hmm. your wife or something wants a massage, and you're like, "No, I don't feel like it." If you're that, going that to hasn't a come separate up. spa, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that hasn't come up. Well, I don't know what I would do in that situation. I mean, I haven't had the job no. for a long time too. It's kind of a bad excuse to go. That's what I do all day. If my wife did ask, it would be it's been, it would be bullshit. It's been decades. It's been a long time. It's been fucking decades. It's been a long. You got a lot time. of miles. It's since been a decade then. plus. Yeah. So I want to talk about. We're doing a movie. The movie is called The Bad and the Beautiful, and we do like to talk a little bit about. Yeah, it's a 1952 film. Great Same movie. year as Sunset Boulevard, right? Great fucking movie. Well, don't spoil it, Rogers. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about the writer David Schnee. <laughs> Uh, all my research is uh, pulled directly from, from Wikipedia. Oh, Wikipedia. And so don't even worry about it. But I'll make little comments in between. Well, yeah. I, he was the head of the Writers Guild. For oh, I'm getting there. I'm getting oh, there. Okay. Because so it's so he's born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, Connecticut strong, went to Yale. He was a lawyer, was writing plays, moved to Hollywood, 
did some screenplays before finally getting the financial success and then like being officially like a part of the Hollywood screenwriting like community. It was a became a career for him. Now, one thing that's interesting when you look these guys up is like it is sort of like it's portrayed in the movie. They're writing like four movies a year and getting them all produced. Like it's just like you just look it up and it's like he wrote this and this and this and, this, and it's all in like fucking 1947 like and then it's like finally out of financial success it's like he's only been working for two years he's had six movies made like it's just I mean, nuts i think about that shit all the time where it's like yeah i was really struggling in the shit and i was like having a hard time for six months and then finally something <laughs> hit so like he, a lot of times you'll hear some story from like a 23 year old that's like yeah i was really in the shit for a fucking year <laughs> yeah <laughs> hand to mouth man <laughs> Um, but then he gets a financial success that a few years later he writes this wins an Oscar wins the Oscar for best screenplay and then in the words of the Wikipedia page was promoted from writer to producer so it's like I like this idea that you prove that you can do the job at the highest level they're like you don't got to do that shit anymore man <laughs> like fucking come get a real job that people enjoy and i think it's also like well now you can monkey with everybody's bullshit yes you've now proved, you get to now you get to like tinker and you like can fuck other people up yes you, yes you're so good as a writer now you can go and ruin the lives of writers the way that your bosses were ruining your life up until now, now. uh from my also perusal of the internet uh -huh. i found it interesting that um both the writers, I mean, he wrote the screenplay, then uh, another guy wrote this, has a story credit. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, both died of sudden heart attacks. Well, yes, yeah, so then he, yeah, so he then becomes a producer, works for like MGM or whatever, then becomes an independent producer, flames out so fucking hard that he has to go back to screenwriting, and then immediately becomes president of the WGA to try to like blend back in with the writers of like, guys, I didn't do you. And one of you, yeah. And then within two years, he is dead. So that is what the town does to you. Yeah. At 46, he had a heart attack. And then, yeah, whoever the story by, I, I forget who the other person uh, he was He died, it. I believe, getting out of his cab after seeing a Broadway show. Okay. And uh, had a long time partner, which adds an interesting uh, element to the movie of a uh, story by a gay man in the 50s. Oh, right. Well, is it George Bradshaw who yeah. says like, OK, so it's based on his thing. So, yeah, uh, there's a little bit more of like it was based on a magazine story by George Bradshaw, which got expanded into a longer version uh, called Memorial to a Bad Man. Kind of reminds me of Difficult Men. That they were sort see, of already being like the people who get stuff done yes. are like these. So Sean like, is referring to the book Difficult Men, mm -hmm. uh, which is about the showrunners of the, you know, the Golden the Age golden of age Television, of television of, uh, yeah. Mad Men, uh, Breaking the, Bad, Six Feet Under. Um, the Shield. Uh, the Shield, yeah. yeah. Good book. Yes, good book. But it, and oh, and David Milch is obviously one. Yes, of the and also the both the showrunners, but also the main characters are the like all of, of the shitty, shows are kind of about guys. these complicated like yes, um, usually a male protagonist who is like very successful and good at something, and also like personally very difficult to deal with, and that's what a lot of these people were too. And it feels book, like that archetype will, is set here. You you come out of it really liking David Chase. Yeah, or at least I did. Well, I liked. I also liked 
Alan Ball because he just stands out so much because it's like everyone else is making everyone miserable that everyone who worked on Six Feet Under is like, this fun's great. This guy's great. Yeah, they they all say pretty cringeworthy stuff. I I remember there's um, what's the guy from Mad Men? Dick Dick Weiner. Oh, Dick Matt, Weiner? Matt Matthew Weiner. Weiner. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dick Weiner. Dick, Dick Weiner. <laughs> is his name Dick Weiner? Dick and balls. Dick and balls. <laughs> Shaft Shaft Cockman. Dick balls Weiner. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he he got hired on the sopranos because uh, on the strength of his spec pilot mad for mad men yeah, yeah and um i and he's a real intellectual film nerd yeah and and so is chase and so they would go back and forth in the writer's room talking about uh antonioni and and uh yeah. italian filmmakers and um and no one else in the room could keep up and i think chase said something along the lines of like well we finally have our uh our uh, female writer here about about matthew weiner <laughs> like because of his like outlook on th things or something along those lines oh wow yeah they... so there's a lot of fun anecdotes like that but at, at any rate the that is sort of like this was in the book's premise a little bit is like this was an era where like these are the people who were like making your entertainment and this is what they were making entertainment about and then I thought it was a little bit interesting and almost maybe even a smart thought that like when you look at the history of this movie being made, it was the same thing. It was like based on these real people in Hollywood and um, about this type of person uh, and that even like the guy who wrote it had some of the same experiences, you know, that the people in the movie are having. Nothing ever changes, man. The more things change, the more they stay. Hey, meet the new boss. So then the article was about the will and test testament of a producer who tried to explain in his will his bad behavior to a writer, an actor, and a director. He was like, basically be like, this is why I fucked you over um, to these three people. Like, please forgive me in my death. And so kind of sets up what it is. Uh, people, oh, there's a couple quotes I just liked from, uh, I think it's, First one is from Vincent Minnelli, who says, people read the script and asked me why I wanted to do it. It was against Hollywood. I told them, I don't see this man as an unregenerate heel. First, because we find out he has a weakness, which makes him human. Second, because he's tough on himself, as tough on himself as he is on everyone. That's what makes him honest. That's the complex, wonderful thing about human beings, whether they're in Hollywood, the automobile business, or in neckties. My feeling about this quote was, and I bet you'll agree, I wish he was more of a villain. They try to soften it. It almost seems like a, I, I, I do agree. That was my criticism of the movie. It seems like they're trying to make it into a redemption story about him. I that, like, that, yeah. To me, that's the fatal flaw of the movie is that they're all successes. I liked the movie. Yes, it's he was. Yeah, it's it's, it's a wonderful life. Basically, they're it's all, like this guy. Like it's just like everyone's better because you're yes. around. Like like you should be. Th it's like a boy named Sue. It's like I yeah. Like I was fucking. I knew you would get your ass kicked and you'd have to be tough. And now you are. Like you should be thanking me and shaking my hand. It's yeah. Like, Fuck you. No, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. So they do they do good like setup stuff of him being a piece of shit and some like really scummy manipulative stuff. And I feel like if the movie had been made. 15 20 years later it would be fucking awesome because i do think there was a little bit of probably kirk douglas and the hollywood system at the time being like but we gotta love him 
you know, like, and there Even, was like stuff people that were he, saying, like, Minnelli was like, like, play it charming. It's like, because uh, that her, I understand the idea of like, this guy has to be so charming in order to successfully manipulate right. everyone. And I think that they do sell some of that well. They do a lot of stuff really well. It's just that there was a little too, for me, there was a little too much redemption. Yeah. As, as you said, it's like the defense of him. And yes. like sweet smell of success. There's other movies where you can have like a true, like a true uh, tyrant, and and yeah. still it be an entertaining movie, and still be a complicated character. Yeah, and he said like uh, Kirk Douglas was like, I was having a lot of success with antiheroes at the time, but I feel like antiheroes that we're familiar with now are a little more anti. Like he was still a little too heroic here. But anyway, John Houseman produced it. Mm. He has a quote about like who it's based on, um, which I think is just interesting in terms of like these things where they draw from real people. He says the producer was thought to be uh, Selznick, David O. Selznick. And of course, it largely is. But is Citizen Kane Hearst? Yes, it is Hearst. But it's also Pulitzer and it's also a lot of other legendary people. So it was Selznick. It was Zanuck and all the others, just as the director could be Stroheim or Fritz Lang. Fritz Lang, I don't know. Um, right, yeah. yeah, when you work, when also you, is it I, is it Vincent Minnelli or is it Vincente Minnelli? Uh, uh, Vincente, Vincente, yeah. Vincente, Vincente. He changed his name, which I thought was really <laughs> interesting to like just make it sound a little bit more exotic. Oh, nice to get work, and of course, it's Liza Minnelli's father. Yes, yes, who was married to Judy. I Carlin. don't really know his work too well because I was never a huge musical thing. like yeah. I, I just never really got into it when i was the age where i was just absorbing many movies i should go on like a deep dive and just like really kind of investigate the the genre but like i didn't know a ton about it but but that's where he mostly lived yeah 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 i don't i don't have a ton of but i've said this uh so like we did sunset boulevard yeah. recently i was like i just I don't really watch old movies. Like I don't really watch old black and white movies. I've made some efforts sometimes to be like, I have to watch some Kurosawa or like, you know, these filmmakers who are like big inspirations to the people that I love, but I don't have like a real background with like movies made before the seventies really. Um, so I might take away, like when I watched Sunset Boulevard, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like by my own standards today, I just thought the movie was so good yeah. with this one. I thought it was good, yes. but it felt it's not Sunset. old. Sunset Boulevard is one of the greatest movies ever made. That's right. That's that was. I was yes. like, this is this is as good as like an old movie can be to me. While still, I still feel like I'm watching an old black and white movie that's sort of dated. It's, it's not just one of the best movies ever made. It's aged very well. Yeah. When you look back on these lists of greatest movies ever made, there's a lot of bias about their success level. Mm -hmm. Um where a movie can be a huge success and that kind of gives it some it, it, a huge success it legitimizes it yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. where it might blow it out a little bit more and it takes a while to to get um a le a more neutral view on it whether and now that movie looks fucking great by yeah. comparison to um I mean, I, I'll like I'll compare it to if we want an uh, Oselznik movie uh, yeah gone with the wind sure yeah which i don't think like i i like sunset boulevard better than that movie and that's touted as like seen it. the it's you know usually a top five movie of course of yeah, yeah no, for I a know. lot of people feels the, like 
something like it's going to feel so long to me. The um, and you're not alone. I think a lot of people do, but oh, I will say, like, long. I found this truly entertaining and easy to watch. Well, yeah, the fact, the structure of it that it's in these three segments, like, I think is very helpful. Um, because I was like, I sat down to watch it last night and it was a little late, and I was like, oh, it's like almost two hours. Uh, is it going to feel long? And it was. No, it it wasn't. I was like, oh, like, Pretty funny. I'd be surprised when I was like, there's 20 minutes left. Yeah, I want to talk about there's some really good jokes in it. Um, So the last thing I'll talk about is the title, because I just really like this other quote from Houseman where he said, the film was shot originally. It was called Tribute to a Bad Man. The studio worried that it would be mistaken for a Western. This seems we've talked about this before. This happened a lot. And those days, like they just be like, you can't call it that. They'll think it's this Um, at the suggestion of MGM's head of publicity. They changed it to the bad and the beautiful. Houseman says, I thought it was a dreadful title. It's a loathsome, cheap, vulgar title. But then when the film became successful, it seemed like one of the greatest titles ever thought of. It's certainly well, been imitated got, enough. Anytime anyone's hard up you, for a title, they take two adjectives, string them together with an and in between. If you don't know who John Houseman is, you yeah. have to look him up and look because he's an actor also. Yeah. And you he's do won he, the Oscar for the paper chase. Yeah, he's yeah. got an incredible voice. And yeah. he's he's uh, got the the bullshit East Coast clipped accent yeah. of uh, where it seems vaguely like British. almost British. Yeah, yeah. in my mind, he's like yes. British, but I but he's not. Right? I don't. I, he might have been like briefly yeah. raised there or something yeah. like that. But it is more of a like. I mean, it predates you, Connecticut type type. Yeah, voice. it's a like, university yes. professor yes. voice, yes. which so is like his. Paper I thought case it was thing. a dreadful yeah. title. But now I yeah. think it's one of the greatest titles ever made. Yeah. Whereas, um, well, it's like Rollerball. But I like love what he's like. Guy in it. it made money, and he's like, yeah. as soon as the movie made money, I was like, "Fucking great title, guys!" Like, Brilliant. you know that he yeah. was in meetings, being like, "Are you fucking kidding me with this shit?" Just I terrible. love it. It's such a funny, like, uh, honest way to be like. I do hey, like man. when people can go back and be like, "Hey, like, um, one thing I was thinking about during the." the cat men scene in the movie which yeah. was very very funny i yes. thought is um and i've brought this up on uh the action boys podcast and and people you, you'll like this if you haven't heard it yet but you know jean-claude van damme was cast as the predator i think that everybody knows that uh -huh. and you can find pictures of him in the original suit and they thought the predator would be kind of more like high kicking and uh doing acrobatic stuff so yeah. they get this guy who like could do karate and yeah um and the suit is atrocious it looks stupid and everybody's like we're fucked and then they get stan winston to design a new suit uh cameron came up with the idea of the mandibles and yeah. it's it's iconic um but they interview um van damme for that book uh last action heroes yeah and he defends his predator now I love it. Where he's like, did you see what they have in the new Predator? It looks awful. <laughs> Those dreadlocks. Like mine look like an alien. <laughs> it's like, I don't understand. <laughs> These guys are so fucking cocky. Or it's like, he had a miserable experience. He was passing out because of heat. It looks like shit. You cannot argue it. And to not look back on it and be like, yeah, they made the right choice. Yeah. And, he's, and he's, it worked out for everybody. It worked out for yeah. him like because everybody around town felt like he's the villain in this huge Hollywood movie. He got blood sport because of it. Yeah. He changed his fucking life. And he's like, they should have used me. That's so funny. Well, he wishes he was in it. 
but yeah, let's the 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 so the, yeah, the jokes well, in this are fucking great. Yeah, so I'll get right into like now we're into the actual movie. So it opens. No one will take this guy's phone call. Uh, well, I did like that the writer does take it and tell him off. Yes. So first, yeah. So the um, the director won't take his phone call. The um, actress won't take his phone call. The writer is like, yeah, I'll take the phone call. The writer is you meet him and he is smoking with one hand and typing with one finger with the hunt other hand. And peck. It's incredible. I got to tell like that is how I type, by the way. I do not you know hunt how to peck? type. I do not know how to type. Dom used to type when you guys used to write together. Right? Dom would do a lot of the typing because and I, I actually believe that I would probably have a better career if I had learned to type because I it, I'm slow like and anytime I'm in a room like every now and then it'll be like you'll be pitching away through a scene or something and go like well they should do this and somebody will be like here and just hand you the keyboard to be like you write and the screen's projected mm. I start to have like a full panic attack because I don't, do I, don't I don't want I don't do people it. to see me type I don't do it and and I have and they will joke around about it <laughs> <laughs> I I will I, I'll take the the I I eat the consequences of I will not go to the board and write and I won't type on because I am so slow I I'm sl I write slow physically yeah I'm so physically slow at writing yeah uh, and my spelling is atrocious like I I mean on Action Boys people make fun of me for uh, switching vowels all the time when I yeah. talk. When I talk, much less when I fucking write, I'm yeah. throwing fucking ease every which way. You're a little bit the, of a typo monster. Oh, God. Like the editing on text messages has saved my fucking life. Yeah. And people are judgmental about it. If yes. you, uh, the, I am. The, yeah. Well, you are more of a true writer than I am. I, I definitely empathized with the Emil character. So the director, I think his name is Emil. Yeah. He says something that he's like, I do a little bit of everything. I'm uh, I, I do bit parts. I do I have written some stuff. I I yeah, want to get into I like directing. This. I do I, some yeah. stunt work. Um, I really, but I'm bad at selling myself, and I yeah. fucking 100 percent related to that because like even I like writing. I like being in a writer's room, um, and I feel definitely confident about myself there. But I also feel like an outsider when i see how some of the other writers behave right um would it give me an example i find and this is generally speaking most writers keep things to themselves mm -hmm. and are more more liable to quietly judge you than confront you in the moment or actually say what's on their mind so if you get, which is fine if you're just having a normal conversation and there's one person doing that, mm -hmm. but when you're with 10 people who all behave like that, there becomes, uh, there's a, a, a weird air around things where everybody starts, they get very hesitant to say anything because they're all paranoid about Everyone's going to judge me judged. the way that I'm judging yes. everyone else. Yeah. Now I feel free of that because of my years of performance mm -hmm. where I do not care about I, I've performed a, a, amongst enough hostile audiences I've bombed so many yes. times that I'm like I, I know I, what that I'm is I'll survive yes. yeah. I, I'm, I, it doesn't fucking <laughs> yeah. matter and I'm more likely to be open to disagreements Yeah, and I'm fortunate in that 
I do have other shit going on where I'm not terrified about being exiled by the person running the 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 show or whatever. Mm-hmm, right. Um, where I'll be like, all right, well, fucking, you didn't like my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I do think the like I, just to get us back to the movie uh that was I, that really rang true from if, if 70 years what is it fucking 1952 yeah it's, yeah like 70 years ago yes totally i do get what you're saying about writers rooms and i do think that it's a little bit they're like advantages and disadvantages to coming from more of like a performance background too where it's like i feel like it's good like sometimes like i feel like well, I can pitch my idea in a way that it would be delivered. And so it's like helpful, like, and, and I can get more stuff out. But also because you're, as you're saying, a lot of people who like have chosen writing as their profession are more like introverted or like, just like sit with things. And, but it's, it's funny because at the same time, I am also saying, when I have to do things in front of them, like yes. the actual job of writing, I'm like, nobody look at me. I need to do this alone. Well, I'm like, I am not gonna. Yeah, I, I <laughs> I'll, I'm happy to put out ideas and uh, shape things. Yeah, but when it comes to the physical act of doing it, I do not want anybody to fucking watch. I'm like, uh, like a dog eating, where I'm just like, fucking stay away from my bowl. <laughs> I had a showrunner who like would just sit. <laughs> Like the whole day at one point would be like, we'd do these rewrites and he would just sit. I've had more than one who does this, sit at the keyboard and just like change a word and move a comma and go back and forth. So they'd be like, we're both recording a podcast. We are both recording a podcast. We're recording a podcast together. Do we need together? We're both recording a podcast together. And we'd do it like over, and I would feel, and it was like, it was this process. He was a good, talented writer. Mm. uh, um, One of them was. And, I had this feeling the whole time of like, this should be private. <laughs> like, I shouldn't be allowed to see this. Like, it's 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 sort of frustrating to watch, but I also am like, I do this too, but I do it I'm alone. not, I don't want somebody to see me do that shit. I can't, I can't shit. have someone watch me do this. It's so pathetic that I like care about like whether I say both or together yeah. when it's like kind of doesn't matter, but it has to matter to me or I can't but do it. But then the other side of it is you'll see somebody's draft and be like, why the fuck wasn't I around for this? Because you fucked it up. Like you (laughs) thought this was a good idea. Like, wait a second. You changed this to this. Yes. Like, did you not like, but you can get lost in the weeds, like doing your, like I definitely go through and I go, Oh, I have the right phrasing here. Like, this is what, like, it's a little unique, but I, and then I go to read it the next day and I go like, this is, totally the wrong way to do it do it the normal way like uh so i'm like uh, sympathetic but i'm um, also read it over like, again hey just so you know like like about a script you didn't write of course you'll you'll be like um when you're reading this just remember no human can say this so if you feel weird <laughs> when it comes out of your mouth like it's not you it, it is the script and add periods wherever you want this sounds completely insane <laughs> You can tell they're all in their head after saying it of like, fuck, I'm fucking up. It's like, quite no, no, make it work. It's like, it's not you. It is the script (laughs) completely bonkers. Like, yeah, it's written for fucking psychopaths. I I talked about this with Hayes about getting abandoned on set sometimes where it's like the actor going like, I kind of want to change this. And you going like, 
I, I would want to change that too. <laughs> we do need that. <laughs> exactly. But like loving the idea to change mm. it had the same thought and actually have been in trouble for saying we yeah. should change it. It so, almost feels so like, like human nature to want to change that. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't couldn't relate more and also no. Uh, <laughs> and then sometimes you watch things where you're like, God, that... I bet most people think that actor really sucks and I can tell they got fucked over. The, I can tell like, cause you, you say it to yourself almost. It's like, yeah, there's no way to do that. They yeah. got, they got a hose. Yeah. And you know, they had to be word, if it's like mammoth or something, you're like, yeah. it has, they had to say the exact language or it's someone who thinks they're mammoth. Um, so anyway, the writer, <laughs> the writer, uh, writes with one finger. Um, then, love his jackets. Can I just tell you the guy's got great jackets uh, the, and and visually speaking, Minnelli's pre like I, I don't know him that well. Again, he's yeah. like there's a lot of really great camera movements. There's a lot of really good his musical skills show because the score got a lot of acclaim in its day, but not. And I think it is good, but the not just the score itself, but the use of the score, the way the what, blocking what, matches up to the yeah, score. it really impressed me. Uh, uh, one scene that that stood out for me uh that was an example of it is kirk douglas's character shields picks up lana turner's drunken floozy actress character and takes this her scene is so funny takes her out and it's this big done as a sweeping romantic gesture he walks her out of her apartment to the courtyard the, of this building. The music is building it's and swelling. it's like this like big romantic moment. It's sort of like the the way it's framed is like he's I'm gonna holding save this you. woman and he I'm, is the I'm gonna savior. Take her, yeah. I'm going to take her and change her life. And then he just dumps her in a pool and the music And the cuts score out. drops out. And it's very funny. Yeah. And it works. He's standing in front of the water and it's sort of this beautiful shot. And then he just releases her and she drops into the water and the music. It's like, it feels very corny. And you're finding yourself going like, this is a little over the top, isn't it? And, it and then when it cuts, yes. it's like, you fucking got it me. It really works. They got me. I'll say another time that happened to me is when you first see Lana Turner deliver a line. Well, she has one line in the movie and it's like, she's like, well, I've got my one line. And then she gives the line and you go, is this supposed to be like, I was Shitty. like, are yeah. they trying to sell me as she's a good actress? Like, look at this moment. Cause she takes so much time with it. And she's sort of like, has this like, what are you reading? Like seductive thing. And I was like, that's a bad delivery. Yeah. Like, and I'm kind of thinking this is an old movie. Actors were worse than like, no, they, she got, they're she taking got their us. time with it. Yeah. But then he walks in, uh, shields, the main character walks in and gives her a note that you can't hear. And then they run it again. And she doesn't look up from what she's reading to like address the guy. And she says the line and it's so effective and it's so much better. And I was like, Oh, they really tricked me. I, really I was going like, like how they did that scene. They're then doing I, something shitty. I, I, it's like, no, yeah. they know it's shitty. Yeah. They know it's over the top and they're going to like subvert it. And that even was great. The, 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 just to round that scene out completely. Cause I, I, I thought I had the same experience, but I loved how after that takes place, she mm -hmm. has her own internal moment while Kirk Douglas goes over to Gaucho and just has a weird off camera, like uh, or back and forth with him, a little secret, like yeah. laughing and stuff that you are not privy to. Yes, that's right. Uh, and then all the way they shoot all the screen tests in this are really impressive. Yeah. So we have, uh, of course, like we mentioned the 
people won't take his call. The writer does take his call and tells him to go fuck himself. Then the three people who we've seen not take the call get pulled into the office of this sort of producer. We we later learn he's like the producer who gave Shields his first job. God, uh, what the fuck is this guy's name? Um, his name in the movie is Pebble. The uh, um, actor's name uh, is Walter Pigeon. Uh, Walter Pigeon. He um, has a little bit of a Robert Mitchum thing for me. Well, he's got a deep voice. Yeah, he's got he's like got this that incredible voice and a little voice. bit of that face that like. Whoa. And um, he, I would almost put him in a uh, like Walter Houston type type, mm-hmm. but like his voice is so good where it's like it's just this deep resounding like yeah they're beep pictures but they made a lot of money yeah he's yeah he he here's rules. my smart thought b pictures yesterday's b pictures are today's podcast wow because they all fucking shit on them they all shit on them throughout the movie yeah we did we were doing b pictures yeah, the way that it's discussed, yes. right? Like, there, it's how yeah, I have a people podcast, talk about podcasting. And it's like, yeah. as though it's absolute dog shit. And meanwhile, <laughs> we're doing this really good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is bad. Um, but, but but the people who watched them loved them, and then like it was the B movies that went on to like have impact on the filmmakers uh, uh, coming up in the seventies. You know, they all were influenced by that stuff. Yeah, that's no, that's totally true. So and there's a good message yeah. here of like the way that they proved themselves on those small movies that again became like what happened in the 70s where like those guys were working on the Corman films like Nicholson and all those people and and then got their chops doing that and were able to like make enough money to survive and learn the skills so of doing it. So for me personally, I'm really looking forward to being broke and penniless and like 70 years old and like look like shit and like migrating to cooler parts of the continent and running into some trillionaire who's like, hey man, your podcast really influenced me to do my mind puppetry or whatever the fuck he's <laughs> like a billionaire from. Yes, I, yes I'm, I'm excited about that too. So then uh, the... Guy pulls in these three people to be like, Shields wants to work with you again. Um, and we're going to get into each of these individuals, the director, the star, and the writer, telling their story of like how they came to know Shields and how they had their falling out with there's, him. There's some really good craftsmanship mm-hmm. uh, throughout the movie. We are so used to things done poorly that uh-huh. like... I, it really works on me now more than ever. And um, Kevin, please leave in me and Sean continually looking for the soccer team to kick our asses throughout the show. <laughs> yeah. Because like, it I'm will scared. definitely happen. I almost feel like I should have sat next I'm to you really over there. I'm scared, yeah. Um, the, so there's a lot of things that I think a long time ago I would have, been like oh well that's part of the story Mm -hmm. um because i've been trained at consuming better stories but now i'm so used to eating dog shit and trash that i'm like well that's just a weird little quirk of the movie Uh um but the 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 bizarre demon caricature um that Mm -hmm. the actress looks at when she walks in when she walks into the building she takes out her lipstick and adds a mustache onto the logo. Well, I um, have a note on that. Th- then the actor uh, or the director um, 
taking a long look at the Academy Award. And that's another criticism of the movie of like the thirsty kind of like, and thank you to the Academy for well, the Academy. letting us use the Oscar uh, statues in our movie. And if you want to think of us when you are giving out Oscars, but they look bad. They look, that's the other thing. They don't they look, look really like real. Fake. Yes, they look like shit. I was like, why do the Oscars they look, look like so paper fake? mache? Most, a lot of people involved in this have won Oscars. Yeah, why do they look so shitty? But also, when she, so she's walking into Shields Productions and draws a mustache on the logo, and and then she turns to the two gentlemen with her, and they all kind of laugh that she's doing it like this guy's a villain, basically, mm. which is, a, you know, a message, but she's doing a callback to something that happened to her right. alone, which is he drew a mustache on her. She's so haunted by the ghost of yes. her father, who was a famous actor, that he draws a mustache. Like, you can't keep putting this man on a pedestal. He's not a god. He's just a man. Like, you got to, like, take the piss out of him a little bit mm. by drawing this mustache. Those guys aren't there for that. It's not that funny to draw a mustache. What okay, okay. I'll, well, I'll, I'll defend it. I'll <laughs> defend it. No, 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 no. You're walking with some hot actress super the most famous person in the world she draws a mustache you're not going to be like Haha. they're overplaying you're it. not they're you're, overplaying yeah, it because okay. they want her to like that yes that was my interpretation i guess at in the moment as well but it was and i think it could I, also be interpreted like you did of like this guy's a, a shitty villain but like and they're just they're hollywood guys still he's a writer and and yeah and she like they want you gotta laugh at the yes. famous person's joke doing crazy ass bullshit yeah, she is going friggin' nuts in that. Um, Taking out her lipstick, just vandalizing the a, building. A power play I that I... I basically had to fucking spend three nights in Center Street because of that. <laughs> a, a power play that gets pulled in this movie that I like is when um, Walter Pigeon cannot pronounce Pulitzer Prize. Dude, and he fucks cannot it up, remember the name. He, he keeps saying Pulitzer he's, he's talking to the writer and he's like, you know, you're doing, you land on your feet, right? You won the Pew, Pulitzer. What's well, the... the joke is <laughs> that he can't figure out the pronunciation, whether it's Pulitzer or Pulitzer. Yeah. The, you got the Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize, whatever it's called. And he does it every time he mentions it. It's like, yeah. so yeah, you got a real bad break, huh? Two, you got one, it's, you got one wife, six kids. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the director. But it's like yeah. the writer won the Pulitzer. But the um, I feel like I didn't rewind to watch it again. Uh huh. I think he says Pulitzer twice and fucks up the joke. Yeah. I think the joke is it's either pool or pole, but he says pole but, both times. But just the idea of him being like whatever it's called that thing to me this is actually a still true like hollywood thing that happens where like we have a person who we've worked with who like refuses to know what your job is like what the show is and tells you all the time like i've never seen that like i've never heard of that i don't know what it is and like and we'll be like people like it i guess i don't know what that is and it is something that people can be very aggressive about of like yeah you won some prize what how what's it called the Pulizo, and it's like uh, it's a Pulitzer Prize. Like it's actually a pretty famous prize, but it puts you in this position well, of it's like. It's reminding me of a move that um, someone we both know frequently does, and I, maybe you're alluding to this. Yes. Of because um, it's a little bit more insidious than what you're describing now, where they are trying to be a Hollywood schmoozer. 
So I run into Kevin and I'm like, holy shit, man. Good to see you. You just did the, like, what was the thing that you just did that was awesome? I, I like, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but like, I was like, holy shit, that's I've awesome. I've been working just, on this show for you Netflix. You just did this yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah oh, been... fuck a Netflix show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking awesome, man. On Netflix. Right. Yeah. And you did that show on Netflix. <laughs> that. Yeah, that is a different it's a kind different of move. Thing, that's a different yes, kind of move. But yes. it was reminding me of that move. There's a move that I I that I'm referring to, which is like, um, what's the thing you were working on? What is the thing you were working for a show? Yeah, it's um, uh, Lord of the Rings. It's the uh, the movie Lord of the Rings. I'm okay. Aragon. Yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, I've never. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Okay. Yeah, because it was it was kind of. It's the biggest fantasy series of all time. It sort of defined the genre. That's awesome. That is awesome. Written for you, quite dude. a long time ago. It's yeah. been in popular culture for really. Yeah, long I can't time. really do like Lord of the Rings stuff just because I have like other. I so you like... do know what it is. <laughs> I think they wanted me to do it. <laughs> um, so the first time that you uh, do finally see our lead, he is ultimately networking at his father's funeral. <laughs> um, he paid mourners to come to his dad's funeral because his dad was a famous producer who like everyone kind of thought was a piece of shit. Um, this is really funny. <laughs> it's, a very, it's very funny. You see him standing at a funeral and then it's like for his dad. And then you hear a dude uh, just like talking shit like under his breath during the like eulogy, basically of being like this scumbag. So rat yeah, the, fucker. the preacher like, is being like, here lies Mr. Shields. And he's like piece of shit. And he's bag. and he's whispering it to our guy, yeah. to our lead. As though this is open knowledge. Yeah, this is like, we all think we all this. fucking hate this guy. And right. And we're all and like we don't know that they're all getting. So he assumes that this is just some other uh, yeah. extra. We basically. all showed up yeah. to the funeral. Yeah. But or like, yeah, this is this is this another is like, person who was paid to be at this funeral because no one was going to come because this man is loathed. Of a Craigslist bizarre job offering that all yeah. these these uh, out of work jack of all trades guys are showing up at yeah because this guy says he's like a background movie extra like so he comes through and um then on the way out uh our guy our lead is paying each of the people eleven dollars to have attended the funeral and when the dude who was talking shit walks up to him he he hears someone else be like thank "Thank you mr Shields," Shields. and he's like and then then he gets to him and he's like your job was to to mourn for 11 bucks you didn't do your job so now you don't get your money (laughs) Uh, so then that dude uh shows up at his house and is like i just wanted to apologize and he's he's basically it's like it's pretty there's a there it it was really well done scene because it makes you like him a lot because Kirk Douglas opens the door. He's like, what do you want to fight for your 11 bucks? <laughs> and then he's like, I just want to tell you that uh, I was wrong. And it was a, it was, it was not a classy move. And he, and then he goes to leave and he's like, <laughs> Hey, he's, wait a minute. You in the business, you in the business. <laughs> I love that. And then the, this weird, this line that if you ever hear it, do not go in the person's house where he's like looking for a job. So am I. <laughs> Come inside, or it's like a fucking blowjob. Like, what is this guy looking for? <laughs> well, here's where the guy says the line you like, where he's like, "I do." He's like, "Well, I want to be a director, but I do extra work. I do stunt yeah. work. I do that. I do. I'm an AD. I do ultimately, these other I want to be a director, a director of pictures." Yeah, and everybody's got that fun '50s cadence. Yeah, 
a lot of great voices in this. But this is what I was. This is what I was like when I was a uh, background on Thirty Rock, and I was a uh, uh, sort of the like girly show right writer. now. I was like, I was like, yeah. I mean, I'm. I do background work, but what I really want to do is write feature films. <laughs> I've blown interviews because of that, because people like I've learned now to just shut up and just like talk about whatever the person wants to talk about and in like, terms of like what you want to be doing. Yeah. And what I can do and what it's like, yeah, I do this and I, I do that. Absolutely. Yeah. That is uh, a huge hindrance where there's like not really a correct way to play this stuff where it's like, what do you want to do? And it's like, you should have an answer of what you want to do, but you also, I think always want to express like, but if what I say isn't what you want me to do, I will do something else for mm -hmm. you. And so you either get pinned down as like inflexible because you like only want to do your one thing or you only want to do it your one way or your one idea, or you get labeled as like, this guy doesn't fucking have any vision. They don't know what they want. A lot because of people like, make fun of like hyphenates too, of like, like the, it is almost a corny kind of cliche of that, that I've made fun of like, like uh, I'm a dancer, actor, uh, a singer or whatever. Yeah. But the people are so unimaginative that if you are, for example, before I ever got a writer's jo job, I, I got acting jobs and people only thought of me as as someone who could act. Yeah. And even what I could act as, it was thought of as a ne very narrow lane mm -hmm. of like frequently I would get cast as somebody's like boring boyfriend or some shit like that. Then I got a, a writer's job and almost overnight, no one thought of me as an actor ever again. And yeah. then even when you like, I started getting more voiceover work then nobody ever thinks of you as a live someone, action oh, yes. person. Like yeah. the, it's kind of whatever your last job is, is what everybody thinks you are it's for the much rest more of your convenient. Life. Yes. Yeah. To just label you as that. And I know, I mean, I remember making a decision of like, I had gotten like my second or third writing job and I had gone and like tested for a pilot or I had been, you know, got a couple bit like acting role offers and just being like, I think I have to say, I'm a writer because this is becoming like a career for me. And for a long time, I was like, well, I'm an actor, but I also write and I do that. And I just have to be like, I think I just have to pick like I'm a writer so that people, because that's where I've gotten the most work will keep hiring me as this. Cause if I keep saying that, like I can do other stuff, I'm not going to get anything because mm. they'll be like, well, you're not really a writer. Yeah. I guess you're telling me you're an actor. And so people sometimes now will be like, well, do you act too? And I'll be like, I have gotten acting jobs yeah. and I'm willing to take an acting job, but my career is I'm a writer. And I got to tell you, I, I often don't feel like any of these things too, because sometimes I'll be hanging out with a lot of actors. And I'm like, whatever the fuck they are, I'm not one of them. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's true. It's uh, it's sort of a no man's land thing to have any, any kind of success in like, multiple fields unless you're like a huge like you're seth rogan or something and you get to like write and act and do all the things that you i do like do. surprising people of like they're like hey for the fucking guy who mops the floors around here you do a pretty good job yeah when you get asked to do like a voice at a table read yeah. or something and then it's, it's like, like holy shit look at this fucking 
I've had that once in a while where I got really big laughs at a table read when they were just like, this writer is going to read this role. And then it was like, I still got it. And then mm. I watched someone else get the fucking job. And, and do a not, shittier, and then do do a shittier yeah, job not, than not you. Do it well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they know them. I did. I don't, I mean, I don't know if I've told it, but I got, I got cast in a pilot and I was like, this is a huge deal. Like I got cast in a pilot for Fox and I had auditioned. I had been working with a writer. They wrote the pilot. I got the job through an audition that I had like prepped for really hard. And what the writer told me was that like the studio executives, when he sent them my tape and was like, this is the best tape that we saw. Um, and that like all the other producers, people who didn't know me agreed, the director who didn't know me were like, this is the best tape that we saw that the studio executives who knew that I was a writer on a different show for them were like, yeah, it, the tape is good, but shouldn't we get a real actor for this job? And that he, to his credit, said like, well, he did a better job than all of the actors we saw. Like, at what point is he a real actor? And yeah, what defines that? Yes. And then they did, they cast me and then were mad about it the whole time and then cut me out of the pilot. And then I got, you know, I got hired to write for the show. And then it was like this huge problem if they ever did want to use me as an actor in the thing of like, well, we're paying him to write. Like, he can't go act too. I'm going to ram the name Shields down their throats. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's okay. kind of a big um, moment for the story of learning that Shields is penniless. His father was a famous producer who happened to die when he had nothing. Yeah, he's like, if he had died last year, I'd be a rich man. If he had died next year, he, he would have probably rebuilt. started a yes. new production and company that I would have had something. But just the timing of his death totally fucked me. And now he's super bitter and he's mm -hmm. bitter against his old man. He's bitter against the industry. And now he's on a mission to get reclaim his family's glory. Almost. Well, and this dude says, like, he was a heel and he goes, he wasn't a heel. He was the heel. And he's like, <laughs> this guy was the biggest asshole ever. Um, but it's also like, oh, because this this was interesting to me when the dude, um, the director, Emil or whatever, suggests that he change his name. He's yeah. like, you should change your name if you want to be successful in this industry because everybody knows your dad as this famous asshole. Um, and... I was curious. I thought this could be a discussion you'd have an opinion on. Name changes. Did you ever think about having like a stage name or what your name would be? Well, I, like if you should have something more interesting or exciting? Because we talked about it with Vincente Minnelli too. Yes. When I met, so I have an agent who like never sends me out for anything. Mm -hmm. And I do question on whether I should have even signed with them in the first place because at my meeting with them they were like have you ever thought about changing your name the and i was like no my name ben rogers you think that's a bad and they wanted me to make it a little bit more exotic right so it would stick out yeah yeah and fuck no i'm not gonna do that yeah but did you ever think about it like before you got into the in into like actually working did you ever have the thought like i know 
I like the idea of like reinventing yourself. And yeah. I do. I, I, but even to me, that needs to have some basis in honesty where it's like if everybody started calling me something and that just stuck. Yeah. Like, for example, um, my friend who, you know, Billy Hot Chocolate. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Billy. Like that is a pretty fucking solid nickname. Yeah. That he got when he was a kid that he has tried to shake at certain points of his life. Yeah. And it is not go going anywhere. Yeah. He's going to be Billy Hot Chocolate for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. Now that I appreciate and, and even him embrace. And I, I applaud him for just being like, this is fucking my name. now. Yeah. You know, I do my thoughts on name changes. If like one day you're like, this is my name. Yeah. And I brought it up on the, the, the show on, on action boys of, when I was in Little League soccer, um, they the the coaches wanted everybody's name and give us your nickname, um, what you want us to call you, mm -hmm. and so and I didn't understand that that meaning like if your name is Robert, people call me Robbie. Mm -hmm. That's what he he meant like when he's going through yeah. the the attendance list of like if you have a full name like what's the the like if he said Benjamin Rogers and yeah. I was like it's it's actually Ben. I was like, ah, you can call me cool guy. <laughs> I guess that's like, if you want, if like it's open to anything, like call me cool guy. Yeah. And he was like, all right, cool guy. And then that was, that was my name for, and my mom came to a game and was like, well, why is why does a coach call you cool guy? I was like, I, I don't know. I can't, it's like, it's too long to get into it. And because then I was immediately embarrassed. Yeah. Um, but I think you should have kept it. I wish, <laughs> but then I wouldn't know you. You wouldn't know me. I'd be all, like in fucking some. I'd be globe trotting, like you, buried you, in cocaine. You and like Jake Paul would be hanging out. Yeah, I'd um, be a professional boxer, right? Yeah, now. you'd be a professional boxer. Cool I would have already bottomed out. Now, absolutely, I'd be me. <laughs> You'd be on your third incarnation I, I, as I, cool guy. Yes, I'd yeah. be. I'd be all the way back around and be like, I'm embracing cool guy again. <laughs> but I think it's like. It's weird when you know someone and you know that they have like our friend Goldie like writes as Julius Sharp because he had taken on like sort of like a pen name. Yeah. But then we also call him Goldie. But yeah. like his wife calls him Jonathan. And like and I think Kilborn gave him that nickname. So it's like it's funny when you know somebody who has multiple nicknames and you just like know them however you do and you meet other people from other parts of their lives. And I've met other gold writers who are Goldie who had to stop going by that. Because he owns it? Yes. That's cool. God, that's so much power. I know. I wish. But I I did think, I had the thought as a kid, thirsty kid who dreamed of fame and like being in entertainment of like, ah, my name's a little flat, a little boring. Do I need something with a little more pop? Like I would think about that when ass. I was in like high school yeah. or something of like, if I really want to go and be an actor, do I need to be like Sean Cruz? <laughs> <laughs> I do love the stories about Tom Kurt, like the um I can't remember who it was. I think it was uh the guy from Moonlighting who played Booger or not Booger Curtis um, Armstrong. Curtis Armstrong. Yeah. He wrote a book uh talking about do um his career and, and he Risky Business did yeah. risky business with Tom Cruise and he was like, I saw the name on the call sheet. I was like, This has gotta be a typo. Yeah. Like when when I heard the name, I was like well, it can't possibly be spelled cruise like this. Yeah. And sure enough, like, it works, man.
It just works. Maybe we should have both changed our names. I don't know. My name was my name was Kiefer Sutherland. You don't think I'd be <laughs> doing a little better? Kiefer. What's up, man? I'm Kiefer. Kiefer Clements. Dude, you fucked up. Kiefer you had two, ki two kids and you didn't name either of them Kiefer. <laughs> Crawford, Crawford's got a good- Crawford has a famous person's he could, name. He could have a, yeah, yeah, he could be a baseball pitcher or something. All right. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is the name of a famous pitcher. It does, yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. Um, but uh, I gave him what I wish I had. Everyone does for their children. I do, I do, I do. I'm never going to have kids, but I do often think about what I would call them. I, I, I have a list of like insane names. Yeah. Well, you should start farming them out. You should start yeah. selling them. <laughs> that's a new this that's must, a new tier on Action Boys Patreon. This is my son I will Murdoch. name your child. <laughs> I will Oh, Murdoch. And you is there any Action Boys fan alive who wouldn't take the name yeah. Murdoch if you had a Murdoch. tier where you got we call to call him Doc? <laughs> that's that's good. Okay, so uh, those are the best nicknames. Where it's like you do, it's like yeah, they call me Doc because I bandaged up somebody once, <laughs> like some shit like that with a story bond. When I was little, my parents called me Bug because I was always looking for bugs, as my son does now too. And that's a pretty good name, man. Yeah. Bug, Bugsy. <laughs> it wasn't Bugsy Bug though. But fucking, I'll take Bugsy Bugs. Yeah, I should have. We been call bugs. them Bugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, where he just looks like a bugs. I'm not reading his mind or nothing. <laughs> so, Luke, can we talk? So, these guys basically team up and they are going to take over. They, they, oh, we, I got to talk to you about the poker scene. Well, I want to talk about the poker scene. I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the chuffa in the party scene, which okay. I think is amazing, where they open on this Hollywood party and you just know there's this guy you never see again and have never seen before. And he's just explaining kind of like hacks about the film industry to someone and it's just a great like we only tone crash setting the best thing. parties and then they they go into this big well, party he, and there's this fucking hollywood well, guy he says court. yeah he says if it if an actor counts to five between every word they're a good actor and then he says directors make their movie in a cutting room man's in love you fade into a cactus woman goes crazy you just cut to a wheel <laughs> <laughs> goes, it's montage montage where's the story and i'm like this is incredible film criticism of the time of like just showing a spinning wheel to show that someone's going nuts is like such a funny like sort of real note the writer probably had on movies yeah. they've seen it's zero surprise that the writer died of a heart attack at 46 <laughs> no they're driven nuts by the way things are it's really cool the, the um <laughs> so they go through this party and, and you get like snippets of dialogue that are great and then there's a uh a poker game in the back room, which is ridiculous for what this kind of party is, but whatever you need it for the story to, to figure out how the, the action is going to move forward. And you get another great snippet of dialogue at this party that our leads are just overhearing. And one of the, uh, the, at the hand is, uh, somebody deciding whether they're going to call or not and whether the person they're playing against is bluffing and he's talking it out and being like, this guy's full of shit. He's bluffing. Yeah. You don't have shit. And then he, he goes in and of course the guy actually does have like a full house or whatever. And he wasn't bluffing. He was putting in strong bets cause he had a great hand yeah. and the guy's got a great line. It's like, Hey, can you tell me when you started laughing and don't tell me today? Tell me goes, what time today? He goes, tell me when you started telling the truth. Oh, tell me, Cause yes. the guy's tell going, me. I have yes. it. I have it. And then tell he goes, me. and he, and then he sees his cards. He goes, I really had. And he goes, when did you start telling the truth? And don't say today. I want to know what time today. Yeah. 
It's a, fucking, it's a pretty solid line. Fucking killer and line. They leave and uh, Shields is like, that guy used to always lose to the guy who just won this huge hand, used to always lose to my father, and I used to always kill my father. So by that logic, I should be able to kill this guy. Yeah, I, so, I, yeah, I need a couple hundred bucks so I can get into his game and we can get a stake Let's going. all pool our money together. And he's got this crew. He's got Emil, Emil's wife, and they even, uh, like, at the beach, they have that weird fucking proposal where, like, he's, like... He forces a proposal on this couple. He's hanging out with a couple. Imagine this. This is part of how you learn that this man's, like, force of will I'm and, so like, mad charm over this people. Is, like, you didn't have me do this for you and Grace. <laughs> is that they're sitting at the beach, and he just goes, like... When are you two gonna get married? He's like, he's like, how about it? Like, are you like, are you gonna say yes? And and she's like, uh, yes. And he goes, I just so happen to have a ring right here. Well, I brought it to the ring, ring guy. And you're like, what do you say? And and he and he's like, what do you say, honey? And then she <laughs> like, engages them. And they're he, thrilled. Then then the 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 fia the fiance kisses shields. Kisses shields like, first. Well, hey, you said I do to me. You better kiss me. Yeah. And then he then he then she kisses him and he's like, boy, she says yes pretty good don't she <laughs> whatever they're both like we both liked our and kiss. then on the beach like <laughs> he the the logo is too uh it's it's too uh um he's showing a meal night he's armor. showing a meal the yeah. logo i love this specific yeah. this is like the uh i think one of the best parts of like his journey and why i wish he was a bigger heel he shows this logo to the guy that's these back-to-back nights and it's shields and a meal and he's like this is going to be our production company logo the two of us are like going to become famous together and like start this company and this guy is helping him kind of get his company going um the he gets the stake together for poker game goes to the poker game comes out smiling and everyone's like oh my god how much did you win like five hundred dollars seven hundred dollars a thousand dollars he goes six thousand dollars they like, go you won oh my six god. grand and he goes no i lost it i lost it <laughs> Six thousand five hundred twenty dollars, to be exact. So his plan is that he he has lost so much money to this producer who knew his dad that he will then have to sit down with this guy and figure out a way to pay him back because he doesn't have the money, and this will result in him getting a job and he, at his production company so he can earn the money back and then they'll be in the industry. It's great because it immediately works, and then he's immediately an asshole about it. And the producer's like, "What do you think you're blackmailing me?" Yeah. I would have hired you anyway, you you're, asshole. You're blackmailing you by <laughs> owing me money. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I would have hired you even if you didn't owe me. You could have just come in and asked for the job. So like, I figured you would. Yeah. But also what I like is he has this whole elaborate plan. And the reason he gets the job is because dude knows his dad. Yes. Ultimately, and, he's like, you know, your dad <laughs> gave me my first break. I would have just given you a job. And that that is a good lesson in like... That is how it works. After all, he, back then, it's still now. It's like he just knew his dad. You didn't have to do anything. Um, so let's talk. So they're they, they're doing these B pictures. Yeah, they're doing these B pictures, and I I like that you said he's an asshole about it. He does something that we've known people who've done this, and it does sometimes work. Shields acts as if he is famous and important before he has done anything. Like he's a dick to his boss in a way where like I would never. I would be like, I'm going to get fired if I do this. <laughs> like, But he has no fear of any consequence. He just goes like, yeah, and you had to give me the job because I've got the goods. And he does this to everyone throughout. Like a pretty he's good like, genius boy. Yeah. And he's like, I am a genius. And everybody's like, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, they start doing B pictures. Um, the Catman scene is great. And I did, 
I, I was watching it thinking like, God, this guy's delivery is really fucking good. And uh, of course, you read on IMDb that the director just loved this guy's scene so much that they kept on adding to it. Yeah. Which I was like, I 100% get that. And then they found out that he was blacklisted, and, but it was too late. And they were like, well, we fucking got to use him anyway, which... You you got to applaud how good this guy is. They just have these guys in cat suits. They look like shit. Um, I remember working on the show Ghosted, where we were having like scary monsters. And my episode, we had a big rubber monster suit, and it like looked great. Like the suit looked great, but it also was a man in a rubber yeah. suit. And as you talked about with Predator, like. And I remember working on the show, and there was a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and there were a lot of producers, and we would have. Not that they were great, but we would have little dialogue jokes in like the sort of action scenes. And there were always discussions about cutting the jokes because the feeling was like, well, there won't be any tension and it won't feel scary if we have people making jokes during it. And I was like, but what if it doesn't feel scary <laughs> anyway? <laughs> anyway? Should well, we have the dark. joke? Because we can, we can edit out the line. But what we can't do is add it in really later because we do have a man in a rubber suit chasing people around in between Simpsons and Family Guy and Fox. And so, like, I don't think we're going to fucking have anybody pissing their pants. Like, I think that we'd be better off seeing if one of these four jokes we have works because that and that was my feeling. But it was funny because, like, as they're realizing about this movie that they're watching, I was realizing like when I first, I think um, my mother-in-law had watched like the pilot of the show and I was like, what did you think of it? And she went, I think it's a very nice show for after dinner and after homework. Yeah, that was, <laughs> and I was like, that always made me laugh. I work on a children's show. Like you, I'm being told this. You and were it's bringing true. that up in the writer's room on a frequent basis. Yes. Because I was just like, this is like the general public. It's like, this is for kids. Like, let's let's make it a kid's show because that's what we have and then it was like that's this won't be scary enough it's like nothing we do will make this scary um but anyway they uh realize that they don't have anything that's actually going to scare people unlike what happened at ghost did they decide to pivot and they go let's not show the monster at all and they find a way to like that, not show the suit kind of corny but i loved it where it's like what's the scariest thing to humanity and he shuts off the lights like yes darkness yeah we could have two bright eyes in the magazine so like and a dog barking but it's interesting right like it's a famous yeah. story about jaws yeah that like he was just like shark looks like shit we can't show it till the very shark end Shark doesn't work yeah yeah and we just have to like keep implying the shark it showed people getting attacked yeah. and it's like this genius thing that spielberg did and it's like they're doing it in the fucking yeah. B movie in yeah. 1952 in the fucking Bad of the Beautiful. I thought that was cool that like it probably was sort of a an innovation um, and that unfortunately, they came up it's with. It's a huge success, but they don't get what they want, a bigger movie. They just get the sequel to this shitty movie that they just barely were able to polish a turn on. Yes. And then the, the, uh, the director bust out his secret passion project. And, uh, and it's this novel that everyone's wanted to adapt. And everyone's failed. Yeah. Everyone's given up on it. He's like, but I figured it out. I know how to do it. And then he really sells. He's like, I've been dreaming. I've been sweating this picture. This is my life. And and uh, Shields is like, hey, you're pretty good. You're actually pretty good at selling. You, you have a 
you, why'd you say you get tongue-tied when you're selling yourself? It's like, it's easy with you. And then they go in to pitch it, and Shields just takes all his Shields shit. Shields does his exact same speech. Um, and by the way, the thing that also happened is, after the movie's a success, and his boss is basically like, this movie was a success. Like, you can kind of do whatever you want now. Or, like, you have to do the sequel, but, like, everyone loves you. Um he sends his boss off and goes like, and hey, when you get in there to like the board, like make sure you remember that my name's spelled Shields. It's not like you don't take credit yes, for my yeah. shit. And then the director turns up and goes like, and I also would and, like some credit. Know, and he goes name. like, what are you crazy? Yeah. Like, well, Shields is the name. Shields we're be is the name. Down. Yeah. So it's like this logo he showed him with the two names. He has now excised this guy's name off it. And I think it's like such a crucial part of like, this is how the guy gets fucked over. He's stealing his credit. And I also have known people like this where like, as we're saying, like they, they act like they're famous before we have friends who were like in a sketch group. And there was one member of the sketch group who like, when they brought in a script would be like, can this be my name presents the goofball? <laughs> and, they, and they go like, well, when we wrote them, it wasn't our name presents. And they were like, yeah, but I wrote this one. And, and they, it's would like, they, yeah, would but they would take meetings and, <laughs> They would take meetings and all be excited for it. Yeah. Then they would be, and then they'd get to the meeting and be like, "And good to see you again." They'd look over and be like, "Oh yeah, I already had a meeting on my own." <laughs> be like, "What the f like? How how the fuck did you do this?" I mean, I did have a job where I was pretty sure half of the reason I was around was for the person in charge to steal my thoughts on things for <laughs> interviews. And then he would, then he, he would try to double back on be like, and I even, I said, didn't I say like one of my writers thought like that? And, and I was like, oh, they must've cut well, it out. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot like, th thank you for getting props as, as to me as one of your writers. <laughs> In my own personal conversation outside the writer's room. One of my possessions actually, uh, <laughs> um, so uh, then uh, he cuts that dude out. He fucks him over. He takes his passion project, sells it, and then like hires a bigger director for it. And well, it I mean, you know what this made me think of? And Grace has made fun of me about this a million times because the show was so shitty. Mm -hmm. But I got a, a role in something out of just kind of dumb luck. Uh -huh. And then my friend who was working on it cut me out of it and replaced me with someone more famous uh -huh. to help himself. Then he had the nerve to show me his cut without me. And the person he replaced me with sucked so hard in the moment he had to be also be like, yeah, he, he didn't do that great a job, but um, you know, people know who he is. <laughs> and, and I did feel like when he's like, you can't handle a million dollar movie. That's why we yeah. had to replace you with this director. I did. And again, this show is absolute garbage that no one watched. Mm -hmm. And it like wasn't a paycheck or anything. Uh, but the principle of someone being like, but don't you like what I do? It can't. Yeah, it can't be you. Yeah. And the thing I've also learned, even telling this story publicly on a podcast, is no one will ever understand it and they will just blame you for being like, well, then I guess you can't work with your friends. 
There's yeah, there's that element, but it really speaks to a larger thing, which I think happened with that and happens with this, which is it's one of the catch 22s of the industry that gets talked about a lot. That is part of what the strike is about, which is you are not allowed to have a job until you have a certain amount of experience in that job, but you can't get the experience in that job because you're not allowed to have it because you don't have the experience. And so like I've had situations where it's like I've got a show like that a studio wants to take out to sell and I've done all of the work on it. And then it's like, now we just got to figure out who the showrunner is going to be. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's mine. There's an incentive (laughs) for morally dubious gray area behavior to get ahead. It's almost expected where like, well, you got to do some gross bullshit if you want to actually get the the experience that's needed. Yeah. Well, it's like you, there's a trust in people who have done something before so that like everyone around you is going to go like, I'd really like to get someone who we all agree has had the job before, whether or not we think they're better at it than you are. Because like, that's just how it's been done. And so like part of what's the the problem with the, you know, what the strike is about of like people going, the studios going, we don't want to pay for extra writers to be carried through production. It's like if they don't get on set and see a production and understand how it works, we will never have someone new who can have that job unless, like you said, they just work either totally outside the system yeah. or like do something like illegal basically, or like immoral in order to like fake or acquire the experience. Now, OK, um, so uh, just as a note, if it feels like there was a little bit of a choppy cut or anything just now, I want to say that. Are you okay? I, I know you uh, got cleated in the face pretty hard. Uh, no, I'm going to be okay. I actually feel... Okay. I, I've I, been stretching yeah. a lot. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I'm a little bit more flexible when I get my ass, like, completely handed to me. Yeah. So, the soccer team came and kicked the shit out of us. They they beat me so bad I had to go change clothes. So, I, I am wearing my bird dogs now. Yeah. I think part of what happened to me is I had these long pants on. Yeah. And so when they headbutt my ass, Mm -hmm. I didn't have much mobility. Yeah. Like, so my legs kind of locked up on me, set me cruising through the goal, landed face first, and um, ended up bleeding on my shirt and stuff. Sean was fortunate. He blacked out. Yeah. Um, So he doesn't remember after the goal. And I had to clean everything up. Yes. So I've been up for a day straight, and Mm -hmm. like, I had to call a counselor and stuff but you know headgum is a soccer show studio and so i found that out way, yesterday like, i found that out yesterday i didn't know that they no that was that was something that they said when i even entertained the idea of starting to record here was like you just as long as you know soccer comes first in this house soccer comes first it's frustrating because like football you don't tell them about, like, isn't Flagler ones doing, like, a football or something? <laughs> I don't fucking know, man. I don't know what's going on with that show. <laughs> well, fucking don't let them hear that. It's yeah. good that you don't. Yeah. Stay in the, stay in the dark about it. But it's, it, you know, it it is what it is. Uh, I have no one but myself to blame. That's, and I apologize that, to No, you, it is what it course. is. It is what and it is. Kevin said um, that, like, because he... Uh, knows that you really value not getting cleated in the face uh that 
if you want to go to Panera with him after this. He got me a gift card. He did give me a gift card, and to I Panera. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. He got me a uh, just for the bread, uh, which I didn't know they did like specific cards for specific things. They normally don't. I had to ask bread for that. card. Bread they, card. I got the bread card. <laughs> well, it's like a soccer reference, right? Uh huh. He gave you a bread card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> skip, I, I ran up to Ben and held it to up bread. to him. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, every post that Kevin does online right now, it's the caption is "I'm in my pan era," <laughs> <laughs> or I guess it's pawn. Like it's like because well, it's like pawn, yeah. like bread. Yeah. So I don't know. I okay. mean, I, I completely it's... misinterpreted that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pan like about a Peter other Pan stuff. or something. Oh yeah, I, yeah. Peter Pan. I thought it was a Peter yeah. Pan thing, and I thought, which I I assumed like like fucking egg on my face. I thought it was like a peanut butter face you were going through, but it was a bread face this whole time. It was a bread face. So yeah, well. Congratulations to the bread phase. Of course, we are going to get back into the movie. And because we were distracted by it, I don't know if you guys could feel it, more and more soccer players were piling into the studio, which again, I don't know why I need to see what's going on in there. Like I would invest as I go oh, in maybe window some, covers. Some curtains, yes. It's terrifying. It's just, it's just incredibly distracting to see because there's almost never anyone working, and then all of a sudden there's like, there's 500 people, people and like, going through like hair wardrobe, and makeup, yeah. But there are like racks of clothing. It was fucked up. So we did. Um, it was distracting, and we maybe uh, I brought in a an fucking effort, dog, guard dog, <laughs> in an effort to escape the punishment that was inescapable. The the beating we took. Um, we were kind of like speeding through some things. So we want to get back into the film, The Bad and the Beautiful, and we do want to um, double back for some moments that we skipped. With the director the section. Director yeah, section. we kind of got through most of the director section. Of yeah, because it's like, yeah, it's in three sections. It's director, actress, uh, writer. Bad and the Beautiful, I'll, fucking, it's like us and the soccer players, and I'll let the listeners decide which one's which. Yeah, uh, and, and but I'll give you a hint. <laughs> We're good guys. Yeah. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> so you could do the rest of the math on that one, I hope. Um, So you wanted to talk about the comment cards. Yes, so they there's do a, a screening very, of the cat people movie. Very, very funny misdirect where they love the cat people mo movie whatever it's like the doom of the cat They're, man or whatever the guys yeah the shields and the director are super excited about like what they've done and you watch the screening and they're like all juiced up and then you watch this like young it, woman walk out to write her comment card because they're doing like a test in on screening the, uh, the comment card and, and it everything in this movie has led you to believe that they will have their socks knocked off uh -huh. but instead she writes it stinks and you zoom up on the card that says it stinks and you pull out and one of the producers is holding it and it says, well, that's one card for it stinks and that's 30 cards for it's great. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a great misdirect. And again, this is one of the things that I talked about this a little bit with Sunset Boulevard, but there are. Moments that I wish I saw in a theater with an audience, like when yes. they first yeah. happened, because I bet this was 
a massively successful misdirect. Like, obviously, anything like this, we've now seen a lot of different versions of it, and it's not as surprising as it probably was at the time, but it was... You're uncorking something I have a lot of thoughts of, and I'll keep it brief, but the, the difference between the theatrical experience and watching things at home is very, very fascinating to me, especially now in the streaming era, because I do think it affects film criticism and people's thoughts on how good a movie is. I think it lowers your bar, and at the same time, you don't necessarily have as good a time watching anything. Right. Um, one of my favorite theater experiences of seeing a movie was actually with you. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when you and uh, Grace and I all went to see To, to Live, Live and Die, and die in, in LA. LA? Yeah. And there's this great moment where there's this intense car chase and yep. Freakin is trying to outdo himself in French Connection and he's really putting a lot of focus in this very long dramatic set piece and the the uh uh they're out of room to drive and William Peterson the lead of the movie uh turns to the guy in the car next to him and says we're going that way and he points to the wrong way on a highway exit. Yeah, they go the wrong way down a one-way freeway. the theater exploded and everybody yeah. fucking applauded. Everybody was so fucking locked into this car chase yeah. that when he turned, he's all fucking sweaty and they're all, they're like breaking the law. They just robbed like a fucking Coke dealer um, and inadvertently caused this huge fucking uh, police, uh, uh, like chase and the uh i saw it again in another theater yeah zero reaction wow yeah that's funny because i i've never even really thought about i hadn't seen the movie before and if i had watched it at home i would have been like cool car chase and also when people talk about freakin's car chase and the french connection i go i actually like the to live and die in la one better but it's probably because yeah i saw it in the theater and it was it was such an intense experience. Like I was fucking one of the people cheering. I was like locked in. Fuck yeah. Oh shit, we're going there. Um, and and it was a, a real thrill. And if I watched it at home, I would have liked the movie. But I think you're right. Streaming and like watching at home uh, lowers the bar for what is a good movie. Like you go like, it was pretty good. It was good. Like I watched it. Um, I didn't like go somewhere and pay money to see it and like and yeah. moments where I was bored I couldn't like look at my phone or like yes. you know whatever eat my own snacks so you kind of um, are more generous with being like not bad this but you, card says, you rarely ate my own snacks <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you rarely <laughs> have the experience of like being blown away yes uh, which you and, can have it and I do think uh, it looking at your phone and pausing it takes you out of being locked in with the movie so you can't yeah. get your heart rate up and the intensity can't necessarily you're you're not on the same wavelength so you're you're not going to get hit by those moments that teams of people have designed mm -hmm. and this is part of what we're striking about it is and i'm glad you brought it back to the point oh one uh 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 comic card story i wanted to tell you is i um We've been to a million screenings with comic cards. Yeah. Um, whenever uh, it's it's still an industry standard thing that happens, uh, it will never go away. Um, and it, I listened to a 
Abel Ferrar was in LA for a week or two doing a film festival mm-hmm. uh, of his own work. And he was doing a lot of Q and A's and talks and introductions. Try to seek them out. If you like, th- they're all, they're going to be around. Just go on YouTube, look up any Abel Ferrar. Uh, this, he directed bad Lieutenant is probably his most famous movie. Um, but he's done a ton of, of really interesting movies. Um, he's a character. And when you even watch his director commentary, he is like just an old school New York filmmaker. And you want to hear his opinion on any, everything. And he, um, gave, I went, I, the only movie I could see was invasion, uh, body snatchers, the nineties mm-hmm. remake of invasion of the body snatchers. So this is the third body snatcher movie yeah and he's like you gotta go out and you gotta make your own movie if you sit around by the phone waiting for it to ring waiting for hollywood to call i've been doing this 50 years you know how many times hollywood called one time this movie (laughs) (laughs) they said we got invasion the body snatchers three you want to come? They're giving me a lot of money. They're giving me a lot of money. I turn to my wife and I tell her how much. She's like, you got to do that. So it's, you know, I'll read the script. I, some people here are friends with the guy that wrote the script. It's terrible. <laughs> I won't get into it. It's terrible. I mean, you guys are me. friends with him. I, I, mean, I was there. It's, it's, <laughs> and then he taught, the movie's pretty fun. There's uh, a great monologue by meg tilly in it Mm -hmm. um but it does have he's right it does he's like having a bunch of strangers show up to meet people who are body snatched it's the dumbest thing in the world. They don't know anybody. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell the difference yeah. between before their body got yes. snatched and after. And I'm like, that makes total... Because I saw this it, when it came out, and I was like, that's pretty cool, because there's like nudity and stuff, and I'm mm-hmm. like 12 years old, and there's like art, fucking guns, and it's like got everything a 12-year-old would want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he screened it, and one of the actors is on stage with him, and he's asking me, he's like, how come this didn't get like the Halloween release? Everybody's like, because nobody wants to see it. <laughs> Nobody wants to see this movie. We went to, we showed it, it, we did a screening of it, and they had the comic cards. I'm reading these comic cards. It says, um, uh, no, uh, not tense, tense spelled T-I-N-S. And, and, so, and he's like making fun of the spelling of all the comic cards mm-hmm. of like suspense. I've never he's seen suspense. Yeah. I've never seen <laughs> suspense spelled so many crazy ways. I look at the guys from, I'm like, how much you spent? They spent $4,000 on this screening. I'm like, why don't you take that $4,000? Give it to the English department at the public schools. <laughs> That's great. We... I worked on a couple shows where I was like a party to like the comments from the testing process. And it's like the stuff you learn about the kind of hacks around that. Like sometimes you'll watch a pilot. You can look out for this. If there's like a in the first minute of a pilot, there's like a Beach Boys song and a dog. It's like this is a pilot (laughs) that required testing bait where it's like because that is stuff that anybody and i always reference it being the northridge mall but it's like the collection of people that they've gotten who were like at the northridge mall in the middle of the day it's just like 
you know, they just hear uh, whatever, like, wouldn't it be nice? And they're like, fucking, yeah, I'm having a good time watching this comedy pilot. And then seeing an animal in any way, just like walk across the, Jane, you like that? Um, walk across <laughs> the frame. Or she's like, Beach Boys, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> um, you know, these are things that like get you a couple positive test scores like very early in the yeah. process. And it's so, they like game the system in that way. Uh, and I know that like when I worked on this Netflix show most recently that the showrunner had been a part of one of the first few Netflix shows they made. And he was like the entire fucking reason I left because he had done like years and years of network television that I left network television and went to Netflix was because they did not have the testing process like they didn't do when they started out. They were like, we're like a totally different company. We're renegades. We're not going to do all the like development bullshit that frustrates all the creative people. Um, we're going to do it our own way. And like it's our taste and like our algorithm and all that. And it was, I think, creatively a very satisfying place to work early on. And then. I don't know how many years later, not that many, five, six years later, he's doing a show and he's like, I can't believe it. All of the executives who are giving me notes are the same executives who I had when I worked at CBS and all of the like testing comments and everything, all the notes I'm getting are identical. Like they've completely become. This is why thing. we're striking. <laughs> and this is why we're striking. Yeah. They became the thing that they said, like they were the escape from. Um, just as, just as I have, uh, become, uh, what I mock with doing the sincere version of Hollywood handbook. Um, the other thing, the ADR <laughs> in, in stuff that's trying, that's trying to address notes is always is something to keep a lookout. That's always oh, very yeah. funny of like, well, what we're doing right now is heading over to the doctor's office, dad. <laughs> 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 you just see the force like see we addressed your note like yeah. now everybody knows there's no confusion yeah. about it <laughs> hurry we've got to get there before he does <laughs> it's like we're losing track of the stakes <laughs> um, yeah i always notice it too when i watch like reality shows where <laughs> they explain like a competition or something and you just know that what happened was the contestants on the show asked 200 questions about like wait so like am i allowed to do this and they just like had to cut all of it and they're all of a sudden just like over the back of the host's shoulders going like get the rings inside the bucket in under a minute <laughs> just like we couldn't we couldn't possibly show the people getting the real explanation um so uh the other thing you mentioned briefly like them watching the like screen tests of different people uh, but we didn't really go into it. But the idea of being on the writer's side, having been a performer, being on the writer's side of watching, watching auditions yes, that's fucking and crazy. seeing like what it is like in a room when it's just like, all right, here's the top like six people. Let's watch them and how quickly you get clicked out of and like what. What also, does stand out the, in a the, bad way? How versus quickly what the casting? Way. You realize, oh, the casting directors don't know what they're talking about when they're trying to help you. Yes, that's right. That's right. That the, like there is a disconnect between, and they're meaning they want the best performance, but that 
what is the best performance to them isn't necessarily what the writers are looking for. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I remember an audition where I got given like a very specific note from a casting director and then I knew like several people who worked on the show and I sent in a tape and they were like, yeah, we all loved your tape. It was just that you did this one thing that like the creator like didn't like. And I was like, but I was told to do exactly that, like specifically. And they were like, well, will you make another tape where you don't do it? And I was like, <sighs> It did. I, okay. It did help me, out. and then I didn't get it. Yes. <laughs> the um, I told I told a, a showrunner once. I was like, "You have to get in touch with the casting director." Yeah, you're not happy because I guarantee you, they're telling everybody to do this thing that you hate with the character. Mm -hmm. Like they think that's what you want. Yeah, it like, happens. There's just a miscommunication. There's a lot of obviously. There's a lot of producers that things yeah. evolved, and somebody just goes like, "It's this," and, and also then, your writing is not for humans that's also what i should have probably told it's <laughs> not for human beings to say it's like another problem another thing making it hard for the actors um and then there's another funny thing so there's like them watching the screen test and then they decide like none of these screen tests are good we've got to get gaucho the like famous Dude. latin lover and then they go to like wine and dine him for a whole night to try to convince him to do the movie great moment where the director plays on shields's ego because shields is like everybody in town wants him we're never going to get him and the director's like but maybe you could convince him and you see be like get me gaucho <laughs> and it's like um isn't he's got some like sal what does a guy like that want like and then Gaucho yeah. when they do want and then of course it's women. Gaucho wants women, so they get a pretty blonde to dance with Gaucho. And there's a very funny scene of like, uh, to me, I I like didn't expect it of her dancing with Gaucho and then her steak getting put down at a at a at the table and she just sits down and starts housing the steak. <laughs> yes, the, so oh, like they clearly promised her a, a big steak dinner, <laughs> but they they have done this whole like song and dance to seduce Gaucho. And then he's like, why are you guys doing all this? Like, I just do a movie if I like the script. So then they show him the script, but it's something that was also in Sunset Boulevard, the scene of someone who wrote a script watching the person who they want to like it, read it in the same room as them, which always gives me like a lot of anxiety. Okay, just I, I apologize because you wanted to do this uh, in a linear fashion and I am doubling back on a scene um, because it is one of my favorite lines and it actually does fit in with the, the total story mm -hmm. um, before they they the, they bust out the director this the future director's big project mm -hmm. Emil's like big project that they need to get Gaucho for yeah they do stop at the crow's nest which is this old actor's house that shields drives them to yeah and i love this house first off i love the like i this i was like damn this house is fucking amazing yeah and this is where they rip this demon caricature off the wall of his father that mm -hmm. this this actor drew once upon a time i want to as someone who likes to draw a lot the artwork is incredible yeah, the 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 cartoons on the wall all look fucking incredible. Whoever they got to do them, they are top. It must have been a Disney guy. Yeah, they're like top Disney in the fifties. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. The house looks great, and then Shields explains his relationship with this actor who worked for his father, and he says like, 
At 13, he taught me how to drink. At 14, he taught me how to smoke a cigar. At 15, he taught me the facts of life. It's like, <laughs> what the He's fuck? just fondly remembering this guy who got him drunk when he was 13. This adult movie and, star. Yes, and like told him, <laughs> and like got him laid when he was 15. Yeah. Like, let me get you a prostitute. Yeah. The, the, and then in the distance, somebody says, like, you know, says he was a terrible man. Like, he's yeah. like, there's like a woman there, just her legs dangling down from an attic crawl space. Now, later we will learn this is the director's daughter. And th no, she's the actor who they went to see. Or, yes. She's his daughter, and she is the actress yes. who shields you know, ends up taking under his wing pretty and trying slick. to make a star. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty cool because you don't, you, you don't see her face or anything. And it's not until later that she says like when she first met him, but the really funny thing of this is like, there's a ladder that's like only like two rungs are dangling out of the attic and Shields gets in this like kind of argument with her. At Somebody point, on a tan year rear. He, he threatens to <laughs> spank her. She, One of the drops, lines. she drops the ladder and goes, come up here and try it. He reaches for the ladder. She pulls it back up instantly. And then there's like a beat, a perfect beat. She goes, I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Like this and, and her getting dropped in the pool were like two of the funniest like comedy. I beats. kept on thinking about this poor <sighs> director just being like, the fuck am i doing here oh yeah <laughs> he's like screaming at some drunk girl yeah like just for talking shit about this actor who got him laid when he was 15 somebody ought to tan your rear <laughs> it's like a threat my grandpa used to make jokingly oh yeah it, it's insane but yeah that was a very crow's good scene. nest um <laughs> god how do i buy the crow's nest <laughs> i don't i don't i don't think it's there anymore Probably got knocked down to build one of these new modern condominiums. Their their uh their movie, their big prestige movie is called Far Away Mountain. Far Away Mountain, and which is I think <laughs> it's a joke on like what yes. a prestige movie yes. would be called. Yes. Like I do there, think it's I think there's a lot a of those throughout. There's a lot of fake moving titles and as like obviously with the Raj tapes, I, I, it's something that I'm very interested in. They're all great. Even the posters in the background, which I assume are mostly artificial, they're mm -hmm. all like very solid. Can um, I ask you a question yeah. about the faraway mountain? So like it becomes, you know, it's clear that uh, Shields goes, every studio in town tried to adapt this. No one can do it. And the director is just like, I read it and I know exactly how to shoot it. And I have a perfect outline. Two things. One thing that is interesting to me is Shields starts helping him with it. And he says, like, I thought my outline was perfect within a week of working with Shields. It was twice as good. Right. And there's a it's like, you know, at this point, the movie is about a son of a bitch. But I do think as much as I said, like, I'd like him to be a bigger heel. I love how many competency reminders we get. Yes. Where good. we are shown this guy is really talented. And that I, think, I don't mind. I know. I love that. I, I love that because I think it's like. Also a real thing, still a, a discussion I'm sure you've had with yourself where it's like sometimes there's somebody who you know is like an asshole and would be a bad person to work with, but it's like, but I would work with them. Yes. Because they are so good at what they do. Um, and I think that that, you know, gets him very far and people are able to kind of 
behave it's, it's, in, in it's certain ways if they just deliver bit, the goods. But not much. It's still a fact of the industry of like, if you're very talented, people will accept you being an awful piece of shit. <laughs> And you can get by for a very long time, maybe forever. Well, and I'm and I'm talking. Obviously, there's like whatever people who are like criminals and shit. Like, but for me, it's even knowing showrunners who keep you overnight. Like, yeah, I'm, there's I, stuff I'm like not that. Ta- yeah, yeah, I'm saying like I'm not talking you, about Harvey Weinstein. Yes, I'm, I'm talking, talking about, about like, being an asshole. I'm talking about like Dan Harmon yes. or something where it's like people go like, well, he's there. Certainly, stories of him not being nice to his writers and and having to work super late. But there's still an element of like, but this guy is is very good, and so and he's one of a, a million people like that. Yes, yes, and it's just an example and, of like and, I know people who worked for him and like learned a lot, and were like it was really hard. And they're <laughs> training people the wrong way because then mm-hmm. people under them are like, I guess that's how you run a room. I guess that's how you're successful. This is something they talk about with like the SNL family tree where like, because SNL for so long was like people pulling all nighters and an attitude a little bit of like, if it wasn't extremely hard and stressful to make, then it can't possibly be good. That like so many people who came out of that system and became showrunners and yes. stuff were like, this is the only way to make a television show. Yes, they don't know any other way. And so it just that. And then everyone who worked for them and worked under them and became like this kind of self-perpetuating thing where like a lot of people were like, well, if you work for me, you have to be here till 2 a.m. because that's the only way to make anything good. And I, I, I'm sure we both experienced working on something for a really long time where it's like, is that that much better than it was two hours ago? Yeah, and it might not, be worse. It's, it's way worse. <laughs> it's way worse. This is the worst story of the last 10 we put out there. And we're only going with it because we're all we exhausted. Ran out of time. We're all exhausted and we're, we're, we've all lost our mind. And now this is what we've settled on. We have to make a choice. Yeah. And this is the musical chairs. We're sitting in this one that none of us like. Well, and you and you end up with the last thing, not the best yes. thing. Because you cannot go backward. You cannot say like... Guys, I think we had it yesterday. You can. You <laughs> well, can. They'll hell hate you. Yes, everyone, everyone will, will hate you. And you'll be right. Everyone will hate you. Yeah. And that's fine. And sometimes you do have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh one thing that the one line that the producer has that they all kind of know by now that's really uh-huh. corny is like I don't want to wake award-winning pictures. I want to make movies that end in a kiss and black ink in the books. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, all right. So I think now we've, yeah. we've covered the director story. Oh, I mean, the other thing I wanted to say about the faraway mountain is he's, he's got this adaptation that he wants to do. Um, and so other than shields, helping him improve it, just kind of a writer thing of like, is there something you remember reading or specifically, or like, is it a way that you read things sometimes where it's like, how would I make this? Or like, I have to, every single thing I read, every single thing I read, every single like piece of media, my, I'm always thinking if I were to make this a movie, I think it's maybe a generational thing about just how, when we were growing up, Everything was about, could you, like, what would the movie version of this be? Whether it's something should be a movie, could be a movie, needs to be a movie, doesn't need to be a movie. But I know, yeah, I think that got buried in me. And so I'll uh, 
quickly talk about like I got really deep into Elmore Leonard at one point. Yeah. I was reading all of his stuff. Yeah, and, I remember. You know, he's written whatever sixty books, and and like forty of them have been made into movies. And one of the ones at the time that I was reading that hadn't been made into a movie, um, which I thought was like I just read it and was like I see this, like I see this as a movie. Like I was like casting it in my head in a way that doesn't always happen to me. Sometimes I go, this could be a cool movie, but this was I was like. I think I could write this. I think I could make it and got like really kind of obsessed. And every time I went to meet with a movie production company or anything, I would be like, there is a book I read that I want to adapt and I have a way through it. And if you like think that you could get the rights or anything, like I'll do an outline and I'll, I'll show you, but I, I have an idea. I think it would do well. And I would always find like sometimes people were receptive to it, but they would go, Elmore Leonard had passed away and his son like had the rights and had a friend who was a producer who owned it. And it was like, it's never going to shake loose from this guy and he's not going to do anything with it. And it's just like going to sit forever. And it ended up being, and you gave me a signed first edition of it actually as a gift because I like the book so much, but it was City Primeval, which now is the new Justified series. And that's how it had to get shaken loose is like these people who had done a series adaptation that Elmore Leonard loved had enough credibility to like use this story. And so it's like exciting to me to see it. But I also do think of it as like the example of like one of the times I read something was like, I really think I could yeah, do this. You probably would have made something way fucking cooler. I, I, I don't know about that. The, I like Justified a lot, but the, yeah. Um, the thing I like to do now is I like to... um. I love when there's a moment in a book that cannot be filmed. Yeah. So there's a storyline. Usually they're visual challenges. So mm -hmm. it's it's some surprise in the book that can only uh, that that's only a surprise because you're reading a book. Right. And I love to try to do the math in my brain of like how could I still have that surprise even though it's a visual medium. And even though you are going to reveal who the killer is immediately, there's no yeah. way to hide that in a movie. Like, how could you still get that same effect? That's what I really like thinking about when I'm I'm reading a book. Like, I get obsessed with it. I used to be really into Wizard Magazine when I was a kid. Yeah. So Wizard Magazine was the monthly price guide for comic books. But it was essentially like the entertainment weekly of comic books. Mm -hmm. So... Every month it was a big deal when it came out because it's like such a niche industry market book. Yeah. Where, and, they, and it's just loaded like all, like a very um, fun letter section. Yeah. Uh, them recommending what to read. But they're, um, they had a monthly casting thing of like, and this is pre what the, uh, the movie industry would become. Uh, it's, this is probably, I'm, I'm talking like, 1994 uh and they would take a superhero and they would cast it of like if yeah. you were to make this into a movie yeah. who would you cast in all these roles and it blew my fucking mind yeah Every, i was like god i can't imagine like yeah that would be crazy if they actually made like a fucking x-men movie yeah like if they made the, the event and now i'm like oh well they fucking ruined the movie they, industry. They, they, they did it and it's fucking destroyed. you got your wish yeah. asshole <laughs> they've like, they made a few of them <laughs> some of them were so wildly like wrong and like they cast glenn danzing as wolverine in there 
That's, oh, I love that. I know. I wish. I'd watch I, it. Oh, fucking 100. Are you kidding me? That's the They're only also, movie. It's also them at like where the comic book like status was in the world. right? The, the, kind of going like, I think we'd probably have to live with Glenn Danzig. Like we can't, we can't name a famous actor. People will be like, "Oh, you think you could get?" They him? did. They, they. I think they were. That was a real challenge for them. And they were like, "I just can't think of anybody better than Glenn Danzig." <laughs> like Harry and like small. Like I remember they had Clint Eastwood as Cable in one of them. Oh wow, I like it. Um. Uh. Well, speaking of casting, we get to the actress now. We the director gets his throat slit. Uh, the you know they hire a more famous director, which we mentioned, and he's he got get, he uh, gets just like fucked over. Yeah. Uh, Shields is a pretty good line about fucking him over. Like it's like, but it was my it was my idea, and he's like, without me, it would have stayed an idea. Yeah, um, and I think there is a um, Tarantino when he won the Academy Award for best screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he thanked Roger Avery. If I'm remembering it correctly, uh-huh. um, early on, like I think he, I mean, even his speech for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was like, I'd like to thank myself. Yeah. Um, like it was like yeah. something like that. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, it's cool, man. It's crazy to me that writers thank other people when it's like, you did the writing. Yeah. And it's like, okay. <laughs> but I think Roger Avery's wife told him off, the, according to the lore I've heard. There was some kind of, there was a podcast I listened to about it recently. I know the story of like basically Quentin Tarantino had handwritten his entire script. Uh, do you, are you, is this what you're talking about at all? And Roger Avery actually sat down and typed it up over like a really long period of time. But the ideas were, were not all, they were like, the watch story was like something Roger Avery had worked on yeah. for a long time. So it's like, it was a collaboration, um, but the, the, the version I heard uh, Tarantino told told his wife, it's like, yeah, with and now with, because of me, he's a filmmaker, and without me, he'd be working in advertising. Yeah, because of me, it's movie script. <laughs> that's funny because I thought the thing I thought you were going to say is that I have seen him give credit since where he's like, if he had never typed it up for me, it would have stayed a handwritten pile of notes, and I wouldn't, um, and I wouldn't have actually like been able to sell it as a movie. Like that, that was like. Whatever. I, I do his. find a lot of his interviews encouraging because he also like can't spell. He hand writes all his stuff. It's almost impossible for anybody but him to read. Well, that's probably what makes him good. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we we meet this um we meet this actress uh after he like cuts out his buddy and then um <laughs> the setup is like and I know you hate him, Georgia. After all, you're a woman and an actress. Yeah. She goes, well, when I first met him, I wasn't a woman or an actress at all. I was sitting in an attic with a ladder that I, <laughs> Just that really I offered to him to spank for me. the fucking cheap um, seats. Uh, but yeah, he's um, <laughs> uh, he's insisting on giving her a break. Like she's like, she's a drunk. She's a struggling actress. She has this agent who I love. I love. One Gus of the, best. the agent yeah, is okay. incredible. So I, 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 this makes me want to uh, recommend a book if you haven't read it yet um it's uh a book about sumner redstone that came out last mm-hmm. year uh called uh, unscripted i believe uh-huh. and um in it is one of the best broadway danny rose sleazebag agent characters of a guy 
um, who is the agent of an actress who um, got sexually harassed from um, what, who's the fucking guy in charge of CBS who had to step down um, for being a fucking- Moonves. Moonves. Les Moonves, yeah. Les Moonves. So this fucking agent, instead of being like supportive to this woman who's sexually harassed, be like, let me handle it. And basically blackmails Moonves into being like, you gotta give her a role. <laughs> and he calls Moonves every fucking day. And then Moonves's life is falling the fuck apart. And so he starts to have like, Having the agent is his only friend at one, like this scumbag agent, and this guy's like sending Moonves signed like baseballs and stuff. He's like, "Your kid likes the Dodgers. I got sports equipment." Wow. And then he finally like shuts like Moonves out, and like it is full of so many good set. You would love. Have you read this book? I haven't read it yet. No, you would. I'm fucking planning to love it. Yeah, um, because it. I feel like it would scratch a similar itch that you like about reality shows. Yeah. Where there's a lot of kind of LA people who aren't really good at anything but want to be famous people. Yeah. Um, on top of a start a podcast, uh, a succession. <laughs> yeah. Like a succession like business yeah. fight. Um, all like every rung of the the power hungry ladder is fascinating. Really solid book. Um, so uh, the agent that she has is like, she says like he basically only represents people who bit are in bit, yeah. bit parts, and it's like they, what is the first time you see him? He's like just helping fill up her gas tank or something like, yes driving her this, to an audition he's just this kind of old like he's sort of a sweetheart you know like i you didn't read him, him as like a this scumbag is, no i didn't he's he's just kind of like a pathetic low-level agent yeah and he's he, he's yeah he's a bottom feeder yeah. in hollywood yes and just like barely scraping by um he's got a lot invested this is like his last chance it seems like well yeah, yeah. because shields has like now tapped her and like there's there's a whole progression where um, he gives her a line and then uh, we have the scene that we talked about where she like delivers the line in kind of like a, a bad way that I thought they were trying to sell me. And then Shields gives her a note and she improves a lot. And then he kind of goes to her at like in he's in her apartment like waiting for her in her in her room and she like thinks he's there for some lascivious it is uh, crazy the amount of like casting couch shit there is like the, it's very well written and makes you very sad about the state of the industry that i thought when i moved out here that was long in the rearview mirror like, I didn't know that that was still alive and well. I always thought it was like an old school thing from this era. But mm -hmm. like, no, it's never really gone away. And she says, like, um, like you expect a lot for nothing. Like, like she basically says, for an under five, I'm not fucking you if that was what you'd like. You're, right. You didn't do me that big a favor bringing me in for this. And, he's, and, and the implication, too, that she's done that. Like, she's been through yes. this, where, like, she's gotten into these, like, um, you know, exchange for a part, the shot, like, the whole sexual thing, favor I, things, I, I, and she's done with it. It's so good because yeah. you start the scene in the hallway where she is stumbling down the fucking hall drunk. Yeah. Then she goes to her door 
And Kirk Douglas is in there. It's like, your door was open. And then she, they have this back and forth where tr she's trying to figure out what his intention is. And then she has this shrine to her father to really make mm -hmm. him realize like, oh, that actor was her dad. Yep. And then so she's the woman from the attic and and uh and he has this relationship with her dad. <laughs> she's got a lot of good it's like this is made some of his best stuff for yeah. Shields, where he's she's like, I've worked before, and he's like, You played straight man to a chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts playing a Macbeth record of her father's of her work. Father performing, and it yeah. drives her crazy. And then he's got this great um like Well, cause she's like, fuck this guy. Yeah. Like, I don't like I hate my father, and he's like you got to make up your mind like do you hate him or do you have his Macbeth speech queued up and a shrine to him in his your line is um like because he was a drunk you're a drunk because he liked women you're a tramp but you forget one thing he did it with style yeah <laughs> yeah that rocks um and then he smashes all the shit up and she yeah. loses well her he mind. draws the mustache on yes, the dad yes. that becomes like why she draws the mustache on the night oh. later um but yeah, he kind of like, you know, shakes her out of her drunken stupor to go like, I'm go I'm giving you an opportunity. And once again, the way that the biggest star in Hollywood is getting made is because of who their dad is. Their dad was friends with I hear the guy stories. who's a powerful producer. And I it's just like, it's so funny that I, it's a conversation now. Yes, it's just existed, I, it's existed forever. I hear these fucking stories that drive me crazy uh, from... Uh, like executives who will be like, well, you know how that happened. And I'll be like, what? And it's like, we randomly had to pull one script out and like ha get something made. And they ended up with like a six figure deal. And like, yeah. like, it's just pure chance. Like they don't know that they think their script is good. And it's like to hear that, like that does happen of like, it's, there's a whole political power play happening behind the scenes of people who are trying to fuck each other o over. And part of that requires like, we better get one of these fucking things fired up. Yeah. And then, and that person is unaware of it and being like, my script is finally really good. <laughs> Are completely blind to the fact that they just like won the random lottery. Well, that is the opposite of what I'm talking about. The, well, that it's not that this is not random at all. This is, this is a Nepo baby. This is someone who is not being randomly selected. They're not being selected yes. from a field of people. But I'm saying who could be the connected tissue to me is it's something completely out of their fucking grasp. It is out of yes. their grasp, but like, but it's, you know, I had someone tell me early on, like, you'll be shocked at how little people's career uh, and like shows they sell has to do with the quality of their writing yes. and how much it has to do with the fact that they helped an executive's best friend's kid get into a private school that was had a difficult admissions process. And that is, you know, similar to like, it's who your dad is like that kind of horse trading that happens behind the scenes um, is so much more prevalent than I ever could have realized. Even having been told, it's still like, oh, this person knows that. Per it's like, it's it's really like yeah what what school your kid goes to or who your dad knew or all this other stuff that ends up being so much more impactful than like the level of talent yeah or how good anything is yeah there's no meritocracy and 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 when someone succeeds without those connections it frequently is a completely random like pull from a pile thing and, like you talked about I, I will say it does make uh some people's success all the more 
incredible mm -hmm. that don't have any of those things. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, like us. Yes. Uh, like, like people go, oh, they're not that successful. It's like, but think about this. We shouldn't be successful at all. <laughs> um, uh, then we see her screen test. Yes. So, and, yes, she gets a screen test. And, and this is brutal. It's amazing. It's so bad. And they and everyone in the room, Shields is like, what do you think? And Pat, everyone starts fucking shredding. They her. they do it in such a mean way where it's like, well, you pay me to be a yes man. And it's like, well, then you're fired. She's terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, I can tell you what you're hoping to hear if it's what you want to hear from me because that's my job. And it's like, no, I want you to be honest with me. She fucking sucks. And then Pebble, who again has an incredible voice, just I think they give him the the final uh, the the period on it. He's like, she costs nothing and you got nothing. She's nothing. And then the, the agent who opened the window so they could hear the like closes the window and is like, whoopsie. He, well, yeah, she, she's eavesdropping on the conversation. Her agent is there. And then there's a great VO line that she has where she's like, Gus didn't have a lot of clients, but the ones he had, he knew very well. And he's pouring a fucking like yeah, this, jug of liquor she's a bit into, of a a, into a cup for her because it's like. Gus. My age, I love my agent, Gus. He understood me so well that he knew that I needed to get fucking loaded the second I heard this criticism. So she goes on a bender because she's heard this. And then Shields pops up again and is like, you've got the job. You're hired. And agent burst into tears. Yeah. Crying. It's so good. Yeah. He, yes. He's, he's like, oh my God, I'm finally my, uh, a success. My cousin died very tragically. He died in a snowmobile accident in Colorado. It was very sad for everybody in the family. The guy was incredible, like just funniest dude, um, a true tragedy, uh, it had a beautiful wife, lived mm -hmm. a happy life in Colorado. Um, so the cops have to go to uh, my cousin's wife and um, to inform her that her fucking, like, I don't know, 40-year-old husband is dead. Yeah. And so they show up. And the deputy rings the doorbell and she answers and he just burst into tears. <sighs> he just couldn't get through it. Uh, and he just had to be like, he's gone. And then she spent the whole time like consoling this the guy. De the deputy police officer. Like, uh, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah, you'll get through this. <laughs> hey, this is part of the job. So it's just like... He, he, <laughs> he's so young and <laughs> that's that's amazing um so then the the agent's thrilled she's like why did you hire me and he's basically like you can't act you suck like you can't deliver a line but he says uh he, he can't take your eyes off he you. says he says you've got star quality and I just will mention a story from an acting class I was in when I was, uh, whatever, 19, where I saw someone get the opposite note and it was like the harshest note I've ever seen. And there was um, a girl in the class who wanted to be an actress who was an attractive girl and she did this scene for the class and the guy who was teaching, I think unnecessarily just went like, can I tell you something? The second you step on the stage, all eyes are on you. And the second you open your mouth, 
no one cares. <laughs> I was like, well, that is, she's not going to do this. Like, that's it. This is the last time this person tries to do it, like really destroyed. Now, it is wild when you see somebody with actual star power and the, Gabrielson and I talk about this a lot because we were in the same acting class. Um, and this is a pretty traditional acting class where um, it's kind of an unrealistic experience to television acting, but you get a scene and you and your scene partner work on it for a very long time and mm -hmm. you present it to the class and then you get notes and then you present it again. And it's a building process of, of learning the scene and figuring it out. And all ages are in this class, um, all skill levels. There's two young kids in it, like teenage boys. And they do this play. I can't remember what it was, but, and I never, I, I don't really know plays that well. Um, so I'd never seen it or had any familiarity with it, but it's two kids in like a dormitory. So they have bunk beds and they're having this scene between them. And one is kind of unhinged and the other one, um, seems a little bit more buttoned up. And this is the first time they're presenting the scene. The, um, the scene starts up and this kid is going for it. He's jumping up and down on his bed. He's um, like messing his hair up and he starts like unbuttoning his shirt. And he's like talking about how great it is to live like without mom and dad. Then he fucking kisses his scene partner on the lips and it's, and the kid's all like flustered and he's like trying to calm, calm his crazy roommate down. And then the teacher says, okay, 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 we have to stop. I don't know what this scene is. That is not in the play. This, this kid was just legit doing crazy Bugs Bunny-esque shit. It was not like what I was watching was not a rehearsed scene. It was just this poor bad actor who was stuck in a scene with a crazy person. Wow. And he was just being like, um shouldn't we be doing our homework and like trying to bring it back around the whole time? And this dude is going fucking bonkers ape shit. And it was like, God, thank God I didn't get stuck doing a scene with that. And then I had to be, I told Gabriel, so I was like, and I hate to admit this. The kid was incredible. He's a star. <laughs> he was He's a fucking, fucking star. incredible. You were like, he, like whatever it is, the, he's got The it. fact that it wasn't, a scene you're like i thought it could be because it was like I he was, was like, so in that, it yeah and i was like and of course he's as crazy as a shit house rat yeah <laughs> <laughs> i this just it reminds me a little bit uh of um we used to go obviously on a million commercial auditions in new york and you just get paired with a random scene mm. partner and it'd be like okay you two go in sometimes you had good chemistry with them and sometimes you didn't but i remember going in i don't know exactly what you know, for a bank or a phone or whatever, but it was like, I got paired with this guy who was kind of like a wannabe, like Matthew McConaughey, like okay. sort of kid. And he was like, he was like, you know, like kind of a bro-y, like actor-y guy. And we go in and they're doing this like uh, audition. They're like, you guys are buddies. So it's like, you know, you chop it up, you know, you, and so we start the scene and he like gets in real close to me and starts kind of like, fucking with me like kind of like chuck on the shoulder stuff it's like okay and then i'm a little more low-key and then he fucking 
like purple nurples me, like, <laughs> like tweaks my nipple. And I stopped to see me like, the fuck are you doing? Like, don't fucking do that. And then all the cast directors are mad at me. Like he's going to, they're going to see him with someone else. Yeah. Cause this guy's got, He's, he's got, got pizzazz. He's got energy. Like he's this guy's just like he's, he's a little. He's, he's a little wild. wild you know yeah. what I mean? And here I am, the fucking stick in the mud, who like doesn't want to get my fucking nipples twisted in a bank commercial. <laughs> and you know you like heard an actor being like, like, yeah, I loosen the setup. I'll be grabbing people's nipples. And he, yeah, and he looks like when I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, get, like, like push him off, and he's kind of like, whoa, like. You're being insane right now. The guy's like, pretty aggro. Like, and they're, you probably leave and they're like, we're sorry about that. Yeah, sorry. We didn't no, know that cool. he was like, an asshole. Yeah. He's probably dealing with something. <laughs> I'm actually even able to handle that. Um, <laughs> You're really good, Chase. <laughs> so anyway, all this gets to, he, he casts her in the movie. She is going to be the star of a film. They spend, they do this like My Fair Lady, like kind of like getting her ready, like and to, teaching her you poise. You have to dress and, like a, you have to walk like a grand duchess. Yes. There's like, and everyone's frustrated that he's cast her. Like the wardrobe yeah. people are like, a woman like this can't wear a dress like this. Like she doesn't She's have enough trash. fucking st style. Yeah. She doesn't know how to turn in the dress well, with like she's a train. an actress. She'll learn. Yeah. And he and he does like kind of coach her up. Can I just say I love Kirk Douglas and I love actors like Kirk Douglas. The guys that seem like there's a couple screws. This, the guys that seem like they're ready to pop at any moment. Like you're always a little bit afraid of them. Like they are going to go bright red in the face and absolutely have a meltdown. Because like, I, because of the era of the movie and everything, I was actually pleasantly relieved that there was no like slapping a dame yes. to like get her to get a hold of herself, which I feel like was a common trope in which Kirk Douglas would be well suited for. Because you are like, this man is about to erupt. It makes his performance really good because you keep expecting it to happen no. it's like it could be any fucking second now. no and they've established like everyone hates this guy he's burned a lot of bridges like he is like kind of ruthless and so you're like what like fucked up thing is he gonna do but it's all interpersonal manipulation um but they get her to the point where she's good enough she's ready to perform in the movie that it's going to roll and then she freaks. she freaks out. She melts down. She has a fear of success. She goes on a bender. They can't find they her. They can't find her anywhere. She's the one drunk. guy's like, I thought I knew every rat hole in this city. I can't yeah. find her. Yeah, they've hired like a fucking <laughs> filthy PI I, yes, to like, I like hunt their her down. Fixer producer who like he doesn't have much many lines, but like I like that he's around. Incredible and you know role. They does. don't even explain yes. it, yeah. but it's just like you know who this guy yeah. is. He's like there to fucking pick up the pieces. So, um. Kirk Douglas puts together like he knows where she is. It's, little, it's like she's at her apartment. Yeah, she's and she's asleep. Um, but he goes in. This is where we have the great scene where the music swells and it they feels like at he's, least they should have had her at the fucking crow's nest. That would have been that nice. made more sense. Yeah, yeah. she should have been up in the attic. Yes. That would have been cool. Uh, maybe they lost the location. Probably. But <laughs> they he carries her to the pool and it's this like swelling music big like looks like the cover of a romance novel and then he drops her in One the water. One of my water. favorite lines where she's like "Will would you marry me? She proposes to him. That was my wish I wrote it. And then yeah. okay and then he's like not even a little bit. Yeah. She, yeah <laughs> she's like he's like kind of gotten her he's gotten her back like together a little bit and she's like kind of saying 
for you, I think I can do it. You've like taken me under your wing and that she and she's like, and I'm in love with you, like tells him that she's completely loved goes, will you marry me? Yeah. And his delivery on not even a little bit. <laughs> like so fucking yeah. funny. Like, actually, what's not the, many um, people have told me they've loved me before I've said it. Um, and one of the few people who did my response was, no, you don't. <laughs> Well, this also this. The, the, no, you don't. The, the rest. What are of, you doing? Cut it out. The rest of the exchange is good too, though, because he goes not even a little bit, and she goes, "Well, it's too bad. I would have made you a good wife." And he goes, "I don't need a wife. I need a star." Yeah. <laughs> and that is so fucking cool. And it is what he needs. And she goes, "Well, what are we gonna do? I'm in love with you." He immediate. This is such a great moment. He immediately gets on the phone with like the with um the director and producer and goes it's like cool. and goes, "We're gonna be fine. She's gonna do the movie. I can handle it." Because now that he, he knows hears- she's in love with him, yes, he's like, "I know exactly how to work her and what she's going to need." Like he's going this- to enter and- a romantic relationship and- to coax her through the process yes and this is also when he he, uh, correct me if i'm wrong he realizes she's listening in on the phone call and and knows okay this is my time to manipulate like i can say things about her to pump her up and to get build up her confidence and then as soon as she puts the phone down it's like all right yeah we're gonna be fine don't worry yeah Um, and it made me nostalgic for like god the fucking era where like listening in on a phone call yes and like going to find another phone and what yeah. like I, I never in a million years would i have thought as a kid that oh this is just a very brief period of my life where this will even be a thing yeah it wasn't even uh, like it, and there was a lot of things where people thought like we'll have a picture t- video at some point and, mm-hmm. and see and and comp tiny cds all the things that yeah. people predicted that did kind of come around but the idea of like phones nobody got nobody like i never thought there would be an era where it's like you answer and it's like hey like and you're like who the fuck picked up the phone like not knowing yeah i miss that yeah it was there was an air of mystery to it but i also um uh need my phone to see what else happened in the movie so you have to the um this is where we get introduced to um a very fun small character of the other actress on set who is an up and comer sleeping with gaucho sleeping her way up mad that she, he promised her a part in the movie and she's basically an extra and she's pissed off about it mm-hmm. and then behind the scenes she kind of zeroes in on kirk douglas yes um yeah so like i mean we can kind of the Lana Turner successfully does the movie. He is able to manipulate her by knowing that she's in love with him, allows him to go like, okay, she's going to report to set and be totally fine because I'm going to pretend to also be in love with her. And so she will be like pleasant and capable at work. Um, A super kind of like fucked up dark thing that you just realize as with his partner who he cut his name out. Like he's so ego driven and controlling that he's like, able to it's a really of, good heightening of the three stories yeah of of fucking over your your best friend on a on a monetary credit sense mm-hmm. and then that's business ruthless that's business this is this is emotional emotional ruthless. psychological as fucked up as you can be get someone to fall in love with you and do you fuck think their that emotions he as much as possible has feelings for her 
I think there, uh, and it's a little bit annoying. Uh, we've talked about it, uh, the our last record of how they do soften it a little too much. No, I don't think so at all. But I they, think, but they leave it in a gray area. Yeah. But basically, the actress that you're talking about, the like, um, is it Lila or Lola? She's got or a something? great line yeah. that's like, "There are no great men, Buster. There's just men." <laughs> but she, uh, uh, Lana Turner comes and catches Kirk Douglas. Like she comes to his house and he's with this other actress. It's very well done. It's it's she comes and she's begging to be part of his life. She. Because what happened is Kirk Douglas doesn't show for the rap party. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, where the fuck is he? She's like, we don't need the party. It's just you and me. Let's." And he's like, get out of here. Get out of here. And then from behind him on the stairs is another woman there. It's this devastating moment for Lana Turner. Yeah. And then she's got some great fucking lines where it's like, um, uh, your business, I'm company. And then she says, oh, by the way, I loved your pic loved you in the picture. Just get out of here now. Like, you're yesterday's news. Well, and it's great. The timing of him not coming to the rap party is like, he doesn't need to go to the rap party because he doesn't need to pretend anymore yeah. because he got all the footage. And so he's made her into a star. And then <laughs> there's, good line there's too. the great line when he... Yeah. He starts being like, this is what I want. Maybe I like Lila. That, maybe I want to feel a little cheap now and then. But, maybe but, everybody does. But he doesn't say, maybe I like Lila. He says, maybe I like Lilas. Yes. Like, I like wom women like this who are interested in a transactional relationship maybe I and not feel, trying to have an emotional this connection is such to me. a good read where it's, it's, he does it like, maybe I want to feel cheap every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah that do you do you ever watch ren and stimpy as a kid yeah did you know like the animator was obsessed with um hopefully not the guy who got canceled later on but like the um one of the animators i remember learning as a kid was obsessed with kirk douglas and that's why like powdered toast man and all the characters have like the fucking cleft chin and they all kind oh, yeah, of look yeah, and yeah, sound yeah. like him that's right yeah that's that's funny um so that closes the actress uh section then we get to the writer section um we meet bartlow who has written an academic book about virginia oh the, the, in the in between but like when they're putting the period on her it's like uh pebbles like yep you he certainly ruined you you were a drunk and a tramp and now you're a star you whiny asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what are you complaining about? That he manipulated you, pretended to be in love with you in order to get work out of you, and then immediately fucked you over. And then it's um, like, and you, you got your Pulitzer Pulitzer. So, yes, they get to the, now we get to the Pulitzer guy who, um, he wrote, I just like that he wrote an academic book about Virginia that he's like, it's actually selling very well because I put a little sex in there. He's got, he's got the <laughs> he's funniest a arc. He's a hardcore he's, horn dog. He's got the funniest arc and it's, it's, I mean, I really w got fooled by this completely. Like, yeah. like how they, they played it because the joke of him getting busy while he's working, I thought really worked. But then he's got a lot, there's a lot of patterns in his, in this section more than the other ones where he keeps saying like, and of course it was success because it was liberally peppered with sex. And then, yeah, and then a woman comes in who wants his book signed and it's like his wife's friend. 
And he writes an inscription in the book and his wife reads it over his shoulder and goes like, what James, did you write? James Lee, you have a very naughty mind. <laughs> yes. He wrote some filthy inscription <laughs> in his like wife's friend's book. And she ran. I was like, everyone, look what James Lee wrote in my book. And then his wife is like, you've got a dis- you've got a filthy mind for which I'm very grateful. <laughs> and it's so, like they're going to fuck now with all her friends in the other room. Like this dude's pr- got a pretty interesting story because he was a child actor. Mm-hmm. And um, then he was able to make the switch. He did kind of, he did a lot of light comedy work, and it, it shows in this because he yeah. can, he he's he's this funny. Is the funniest section. He um he landed a life changing role of Philip Marlowe, which oh. is pretty he, like I, he was never how I imagined Philip Marlowe looking, but Philip Marlowe was so funny that I'm like, oh, he could definitely nail the jokes of Philip yeah. Marlowe. I brought this up um, a couple months ago on Action Boys. Um, Criterion Collection was doing like a screwball comedy month. Mm-hmm. And I was scrolling through and I stopped on this movie starring this dude. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And because the, the description was so weird. I watched the whole thing. It's one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. He plays a German shepherd who... Uh, <laughs> He, it's a, it's a German shepherd who had an eccentric owner who left a million dollars to this, this dog uh-huh. and, uh, under the care of his secretary. And if anything happens to the dog, the secretary inherits everything. So of course some fucking slick guy shows up to town, re- seduces her, poisons the German shepherd King, King goes to heaven and it's dubbed by this guy, the dog. And then like in this heaven where God's like a lion and shit, he's like, hey, I want to go back and get this guy. And they send him back as this actor. And he's a private eye who's like chewing on dog bones and shit the whole fucking oh, movie. Wow. And then he's got to like bust this guy. And then he falls in love with the secretary and he stays human. It's wow. fucking crazy. And and they kind of get too much into the mythology of like, well, technically, I'm we... a human animal. <laughs> that's, that, that's bad. But I, but this is why we need more original stories. This is why yes! we have to stop doing IP. Or let's remake that one. Let's find the really weird ones. It's so fucking crazy. Um, and like the dog was in the service because it's like a post-World War II movie. And so like he calls in favors from like his war his buddies. His war buddies? Yes. Oh, my God. Um, well, this actually, that, the... I, how unique that idea is does lead into something I want to talk about because the writer really doesn't want to work in Hollywood. Like he's getting, you know, his phone's ringing. They want, they've sold, he sold the rights to his book to adapt it into a movie, but he doesn't want anything to do with it. And so uh, Kirk Douglas is trying to coax him out. He hates him, can't be wooed, doesn't want to deal with any of the slick bullshit. Finally does like get convinced basically by how bad his wife wants to go to LA, at least for a visit. Um, my favorite line coming up. This um, was my w- wish I wrote it. Uh, okay, what is the line? Um, when Shields finally convinces him to work with it, and, and he's like, I'm flattered you want me, and I'm bitter you got me. <laughs> <laughs> that, yes, that that's a great line. So, But when he's on his way out there, there's a line that I thought was really... Uh, emblematic of what like the job of a writer was then and still is but has changed in a way that is very bad so he says they flew me out um and uh he says shields flew me out there to get my ideas on his ideas so it's like 
they have these things in the works, but they want a writer's touch to come in and like yes, dress them up. Yeah. But the ideas then were like, it was like this really cool novel or it was like Shields is like proven to be very talented and a great storyteller. And he wants a writer to like hammer out the dialogue. And now I've been in meetings where it's like, okay, we want something from you. We have this kind of pool of ideas that we can work on. And the one meeting I remember going to where like they gave me two ideas. They were like, we have two things that we know we need a writer for. And the first one was because we talk about how like everything has to be IP, everything has to be recognizable. They went, we have the rights to the app next door. We want to make the next door app into a TV show. And I wanting to play ball and get paid to write something go like oh well that could work i think it's the worst thing i've ever heard i go that could work yeah um i mean that best of next door like uh whatever like blog can be really funny like there's some really weird crazy stuff on there and i think you kind of use that as a spring where they go no like that stuff is negative like this is like the way that next door helps people like, and they start telling me this story. That's like next door is like marketing of like, there is a whole community that got together to like save a lost dog. Or when I'm like, it is good for finding lost pets. Like that is the most positive thing that has ever probably happened. But it's there. mostly people afraid of black people. It, and is, coyotes. it is, it is racism, <laughs> racism, There's or a like black man in the neighborhood uh, or insanity. Oh God. And I think he suspicious saw character, <laughs> dark complexion has been, has been on my street. Um, There's a dark complexion man in yeah. a dark van hooded sweatshirt. Um, so like there's there, yeah, that I is, think one of these coyotes is the minority kind of coyote. That's the first thing I think of. Yeah. Every dog's a coyote. Um, every person who's not white is a criminal. So they, I'm like immediately, like I have tanked that. I can't talk to them about next door now. Cause I have shown that like the thing I think Your is valuable colors, about yeah. it is that like, cause the best of next door is like, it's not all racism, but it's like crazy posts and yeah. stuff like the way that like whatever safety not guaranteed was made where it's like weird craigslist ads yeah. basically you could find and maybe generate some quirky stories out of but i don't know who the people are like i don't know how you do it so then they go okay don't we, we don't need to do that one um and i like i think this it's also like the telephone game sorry <laughs> I, go I, ahead. I, just, I hate next door but it's like the telephone game personified because one of my neighbors is always like i'm reading on next door that it's possibly a break-in and it's <laughs> like not that it's just like a, the the rumor mill in app form i can't i can't read it anymore and i but i am looking forward to the show yeah me too <laughs> um, but then they were like okay we have something else that's like not an app um and I do think that this person is uh, a funny, you've worked with them, a funny, charming actor, but they were like, Jerry O'Connell and his wife, Rebecca Romaine, want to do a show like about their marriage, like on, not quite like a curb thing, but I think like a real right. thing. And it's like, we've got these two famous people who are married, who want to do like a sitcom like that is like- Is this pre or post haircut night in America? Um, I-, I I think it's pre okay. actually. Um, but it was like, they want to do a show that like features their relationship. And so I immediately have a pitch, which I was like, well, I think a funny thing could be when she was married to John Stamos, she immediately changed her name to Rebecca Romaine Stamos, but she's now been married to Jerry O'Connell for way longer. And she's never taken O'Connell as like a hyphenate. So it's like maybe him just feeling self-conscious about like, 
have you ever thought about just like Romaine O'Connell? Just because like I know you did it for Stamos. And like the executive's face is like pale. They're just like, oh, okay. And I'm like, okay, you hate this. This is like somehow like an actual sore spot that I have touched on. And I just like completely buried myself with both ideas. But these are the ideas. Like it's not like a novel they bought. No. It's like, yeah. here's a famous couple who like want to do, uh, could be good, but a vanity project. And then here is um, an app that is toxic. What's fun for me as someone who, I, I think at this point now, my like agents and manager know that I will do more harm to myself than goods by sending me to the next door people <laughs> so they don't bother. But the fun thing about living in LA and having friends who are mostly writers is you do get to have this great experience of, um, uh, let's say it's um, like Yelp. Okay, like let's say something like you you run into your friend and they're like, I met on this Yelp. They're trying to turn Yelp into a TV show and it's like completely insane and they're paying me in Yelp bucks. <laughs> like where like <laughs> they're there and I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do this. And then you then you go out and get lunch with somebody else and it's like, have you gone out for have you done a meeting with Yelp yet? <laughs> like they want like it's about somebody leaving reviews and there's like, and, and you, you learn a little bit more and then you, you have that experience like four or five times of like f everyone, you know, meeting the people at Yelp and then try and them not having any money, but paying you in Yelp bucks and like infinity, like fucking free Yelp orders or whatever the mm -hmm. fuck they can, they can like wrap up in you. And then, um, like a month goes by and then you're like out with somebody else. It's like, I'm working on this Yelp thing, man. I, <laughs> like, it was crazy. Like I'm like a dinner's on me. I got, I'm swimming in Yelp bucks. Yeah. Weirdest job of my life. Like, <laughs> have you heard of this thing? It's never coming out. <laughs> like, yeah. And you do kind of get the full like experience from like a, a, a Rashomon of all these people who are like, this is the dumbest fuck. And then somebody who did take it and then it getting buried. And then there is usually a sequel of like, yeah, I guess they're actually following through on I'm not involved anymore, but like. <laughs> Yeah, that is funny when you do meet the person where it's like, oh, I'm writing this next door show. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah, I blew that meeting. Uh, but there, we talked about this with Hayes where like that jury duty show like existed for like five years. Like, and Hayes was in a writer's room for it like years ago. And I had auditioned for it years ago. Like there was all this stuff. And then it's like, at some point it's like, oh, it exists. I do um, love that. It's like the biggest hit on Prime after they paid like, uh, you know, fucking Jeff Bezos's firstborn for the rights to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, and the um, uh, Citadel show too was. Um, so, I, uh, I, I, I think that when his wife pulls up, uh, great shot show... of the palm trees outside the Beverly Hills, uh, uh, like hotel. Yeah. And there's there's a great so they've built an office for him. I mean, and it's worth bringing up that th it, uh, the woman who plays his, the actress who plays his wife is this charming Southern belle. It's towards the end of the movie. If you read anything about the movie, she was like the the winner of the Academy Award with the smallest amount of screen time. Um, and, and people like get off on that fact. 
But she, it, uh, the reason I think she won is because it's the exact kind of energy jolt that the movie needs at this moment, where it's like you bring in this crazy bubbly light character and it leads to really getting you at the end she's completely outside of hollywood yeah. too like she is someone who is she's like stars you know like the writer is like i don't want to be a part of that scene but he has like sold his book to the movies and he is like prepped to like do script work she is sort of an innocent who gets pulled into these other people's dealing, manipulative world dealing with lana turner and the other uh, and and the the lilas of the world uh -huh. of, like all these kind of broken people of hollywood and then you yeah. just get this woman who's throwing uh uh cultural parties in virginia for her, her 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 lady friends yeah and she just she really just wants to go to like cla yeah. for a vacation and then two weeks pay, all paid all expenses paid and then he gets sucked into the world they they made an office for him that has a rocking chair because that's his rights in his rocking chair and his type and his typewriter has been flown out and he's mad at shields about it and the same like the line that you yeah, uh, it's great. love where like, it's yeah. like I'm bitter that you got me where he's he's so mad when he sees that shields knew he would take the job yeah. uh because he already flew all his shit out and he's like boy you were confident huh um but they've got his like accommodations set up exactly how he likes and there's a nice cut to later where he's not working in the rocking chair anymore and it's like this is the symbol of hollywood has captured him like also one of the most realistic writing um depictions of him sleeping on his sofa yeah <laughs> and shields walks in there's a good they get you there, there's a runner of him and it's done with voiceover of him saying i started to work and then he's like needs a snack then yeah. somebody calls and it's like all right i'm yeah. starting to work then somebody calls and then i'm starting to work he takes it's the nap. same thing they do in adaptation where yeah. it's like all the different ways that he doesn't like start actually getting the script done the cool thing about it in this is you don't realize that shields is clocking all this stuff and then he knows like i need to get this guy away from his wife yeah well because his wife pulls up to just show him a coat she goes like i bought a new coat and he's like uh, no way I'm getting any work done today. Now that he's seen the coat, he must fuck. And so he leaves for the, he leaves for the rest of the day. She's like beeps outside the window. She's like, check out the new coat. He's like, yeah, I'm clocking out. We gotta, we gotta oh, do this. But um, yes, Shields clocks all this and goes basically, and, and he's saying to his wife, like, I cannot come with you. I've gotten a half a page done an entire week. And so she keeps managing to suck him like out of the office and and also there's a little runner of him being jealous like she talks about like how he's a jealous guy and like anytime she talks to someone for too long at a party she's like well she's like i was talking to that guy and he was he was just friendly he's like he was too friendly she's like that guy was interesting he was too interesting and so everyone uh is a threat to him and shield says you and me are going up to Lake Arrowhead. I do like the specific of him sending Lana Turner to Palm Springs yeah. and him going to Lake Arrowhead. Like these like destinations have remained. Desti yes, they're 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 like I remember telling my dad, um, who's like, Yeah, it's pretty quiet here. A bunch of my friends went to Palm Springs, and he's like, Palm Springs? <laughs> People really go there? Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought that was like an old fashioned Frank Sinatra hanging. Yeah, what it was yeah. yeah, it was like that Sinatra thing. Like, there's some specific about it being like being built there because of the distance it was from Hollywood or whatever. Yeah, there was a good um 
uh, Norman Mailer book about like that all took place and they rename all like it's not called Palm Springs, but it's called like the Desert Oasis. And yeah, he calls it like L.A.'s the entertainment capital, but it's another thinly veiled kind of like L.A. book. Yeah. Uh, but it's reminds me of because I'm from Buffalo, like Niagara Falls being the honeymoon capital of the world of like in the 30s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like now it's just a you know a slight tourist trap but it, yeah it used to be this weird travel destination yeah it was like where it was like the center for celebs and was like it was sort of an empty area that then got built up yeah. completely for it to be a like resort for hollywood people but anyway he gets him up to arrowhead they do <laughs> oh i'm remembering one um other when shields is poking around to see what work he's done uh-huh. and he opens his notebook and it's just a bunch of old drawings he's like, like drawing the logo of <laughs> yes, the shields yeah. production company yeah that is great uh but he he pulls he pulls him up to arrowhead and in another like act of manipulation he knows that shields is jealous of the wife's like relationship with gaucho and he calls up Gaucho and goes like, why don't, you know, she's going to be alone in town. Why don't you look Keep after her, her a little bit? Yeah, well, because he knows all it's going to take is one call from the wife and the whole like Arrowhead thing is going to fucking fall apart. Yeah. So he's like, he wants her to be wine and dine yeah. by a celebrity. But I think in the back of his mind, he's like, maybe I also am driving a wedge in between them Long a term, bit. I want to have this yeah. guy under my wing. I, yeah. yeah. And I want him to be suspicious of gaucho and his wife because i think that maybe it could end up like splitting them so that this guy ends up so that's i I think maybe implied that he possibly wants to break up the marriage which is obviously super fucked up what happens of course is is, way more fun is way more insane which is while they're at arrowhead and they've gotten the he's gotten the work done he's gotten what he wanted the dude gets a phone call that his wife was in a plane crash and gaucho was flying the plane they come no doesn't he realize it by looking at the newspaper right yes yes that gaucho died in a plane crash yes. and there's like an unidentified woman who yeah. was with him and then they put it together that it that it was the wife the i, I that's another old school way of like, like learning the breaking news of walking by the newspaper stand um what, say that again yeah. to the newspaper yeah extra extra no the other part <laughs> gaucho doesn't play crash with Get it right, here. Blonde? <laughs> right. <laughs> read all about it <laughs> no before Be- that in between i don't remember <laughs> well read it you got the fucking paper in front of you, you dumb just kid. hand me the fucking paper <laughs> that'll be two i bits. can't read <laughs> the um the, my favorite newspaper stand story that I think is insane. I feel like it doesn't blow as many people away. I, it blew me away when I read it is in that Mike Nichols book when, uh, by, uh, it came out like a year ago. It's Mike, Mike Nichols biography. It's, um, uh, Mark or something. Mark Harris, Mark Harris. Yeah. Great writer. Um, he tells a story of, uh, an actress who like, had like a breakdown when she heard the news that JFK got shot. She was at a party and uh, somebody told her like JFK died and she like couldn't believe they were up all night partying and then she got the news and she was devastated and ran and ran downstairs to get the newspaper to read about it. And it was just she unknowingly Life magazine put her face on the cover. So like at the newspaper stand, it was all her face. (laughs) 
And I was like, uh, that's the biggest nightmare I've ever fucking heard. Wow. Of just being like crying and then you go and you're like, you're the hot. Like it hasn't even made the newspapers yet. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, like all good producers, Shields um, sees that the wife is a distraction. So he has her exploded in a small aircraft crash. <laughs> um, well, it's pretty cool it's, how they spin it and like the whole the meat and and seeing how these guys control the local media of all these guys are like, were they going to mar get married? It says they were going to Acapulco. And it was like, no, no, no. They were flying to meet us in Lake Arrowhead. They're very good friends with the author. It is true. It's an yeah. old school like media spin yeah. thing where it's like she was she obviously was going on some trip with Gaucho. He convinced her to go on some and they were flying, I think, to Mexico, but they immediately Acapulco, another like old school destination. Yes, yeah. Yes. They immediately like get a fake story that spins it that like she was still a dedicated wife who was trying to like surprise her husband on his trip. And it takes hold like that does yeah. become the story. It's just an interesting uh, like piece of it. But I, I want to bring up one thing we skipped over, which is that when they are doing the work in Lake Arrowhead, the writer is writing and he's yes. fucking typing it out. And the then proud he's, land. <laughs> and, then, and then he's handing the pages to Shields, who is crossing out. Yeah. All of that's the our work. best scene. And he's like, that's my best scene. And then Shields like sells him on like, we don't need all this dialogue because here's how we're going to show it. He is a movie maker. Yes. This and guy this is a writer a who's a novelist who's like thinks he needs to explain and have everything in words. And Shields can see the whole picture, which is cool. And it did make me want to tell a story. I believe it's about. I believe the producer involved is Dino De Laurentiis, who um, is a famous, like, great producer who made a bunch of stuff, who Glo gave... B-movie, fair, a famous, a, a very unscrupulous producer who made a lot of enemies, but made a lot of movies that I fucking love. Very similar yeah. to Shields, and, yeah. and gave the writer of this movie his last job before oh, his wow. heart attack. So anyway, when I worked on Ash vs. Evil Dead with Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi told me a fun story about Dio Regis, which is they had made Evil Dead and it was called The Book of the Dead. Um, the whole fucking thing is about the Necronomicon, which is the Book of the Dead. Their whole idea was the Book of the Dead. Script was the Book of the Dead the whole time. And that um, the producer comes in and he has a note card and he has written the Book of the Dead. And he was like, all right, I'm going to help you distribute this film. And he takes it and he crosses out the and he goes, the tells me nothing. Books, people hate them. They're boring. Of tells me nothing. The tells me nothing. So we're left with dead. Dead's good. I'll release it if you call it evil dead or 100% dead. And he's like, I'll go evil dead. And he's like, movie's called evil dead. <laughs> I just love, I love that. So I'm just, just crossing out everything. Right. But it's, it's a movie he's guy. He's weirdly right. It's a movie guy who's like, I know movies like I understand like what you did like is like but also, in your mind it has to be the book of the dead not that it couldn't have worked as the book of the dead but I yes. love him crossing out everyone tells me nothing and then book people don't like him but, and but it's like you, the people who see his movies yes. don't fucking like him but it's also you have to do the story as like book and no one likes it <laughs> <laughs> that tell me nothing yeah so we got dead I do a movie if it's called evil dead 100% dead. 
I looked him. I looked it up, and he's only listed as a producer on Evil Dead Two. But he must have just been involved in the distribution or whatever. Of, of yeah, the, I, um, I mean, he um, and uh, of course, also one of these guys who famously had his um, desk on uh, uh, stacked up high. So you walked yeah. into his office, and there was this giant desk eight feet up. Yeah, and there's like a little five foot guy behind it, like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Um, so, uh, he does not speak English. He doesn't speak English. We can have a man about like Arnold and then like, <laughs> like getting convinced to use him. There's a million great stories about uh, De Laurentiis. Um, but they spin the plane crash story. Uh, then they're directing the movie. The script is finished and the, um, bigger director who shields like fucked over his best friend for early on in the movie is doing things in a way that shields doesn't agree with. And it's been, seeded a little bit that his ego is getting bigger and bigger and he feels more and more that he's the only one who can see the way the movie needs to be made and he gets in a very good fight i think on set with the director where he's going like you didn't even begin to explore the layers of this scene and the mm. director's explaining to him how a movie works where he's like all I these do scenes like are this good scene where like he after just seeing him be like let me show you how movies are made and then the director being like let me explain to you how movies are made yeah like this is not how the pacing works and this guy seems like they set him up well as being this pretentious director who's like oh, oh like doesn't quite really care about this project either of being like yeah. this is fine like oh and it's worth saying it, of course shields like i knew nothing about their plane trip yes to, yes to yes. the writer of like this is a complex he's like, like what Sorry, the man, fuck I was going know. on yeah. yeah so um then the the director is like if you want this made exactly the way you're picturing it you have to make it i'm gonna make it my way and it's like and it is also a good lesson of this guy's a good producer. He's a good executive. <laughs> I'm just remembering Pe the scene where the writer's like, what if we get Lana Turner? And everybody's like, eee. Yeah, and, yeah. then, and then Shields is like, because she hates my guts. He's like, you could ask her. <laughs> um, but which is a good also necessary Tying thing it where together, it, it yeah. connects these yes. three people. The, the director is currently working with Lana yeah. Turner. They've bonded over how much they hate Shields. The writer comes in. And he like goes to meet the two of them. And so ultimately they're going to be but the trio we see at the end. It's also something that I know we've both experienced where you have been fucked over by somebody and you're friends with somebody else who's been fucked over by them. And you know, someone else who has yet to be fucked who over is by currently them. currently working with but, them and but the shoe like, hasn't dropped. But you're like, hey, see you in a couple months. Like you're going to be yeah. part of the club. Like it's only a matter of time. And yeah. we've, like actually weirdly we've been in that experience through multiple levels because even when you're starting out not even like in paying jobs like even just like doing improv shows and stuff there's still vultures around yeah <laughs> who are who are scavenging anybody with talent looking to like exploit you in some way and and so like there have been ver a variety of times where it's like, oh, yeah, remember that piece of shit? They were taking advantage of you for a little while, right? Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because when you're early on, when you're, like, young in your career, like, this is this guy's first movie he's written or whatever, like, the the vulture behavior, like, the person who's, like, manipulating or taking advantage of you, it does feel like an opportunity. And it's like, it, you need to, like, have more experience yeah. to realize, like, oh, they were fucking me over but they also were giving you a shot like it's a strange I, yeah like, where it's dynamic. like i nobody's even lining up to fuck me over i yeah. guess like 
where it's like, oh, I'm writing this. I'm basically, this person has a deal to do a pilot and I'm pretty much writing their pilot for them for like a hundred dollars yeah. a day. They're fucking me over but because they, they know they can fuck me over. And they're getting whatever they got, uh, you know, like six figures or something to write this script and I'm writing it for them for a hundred dollars a day, but I'm so grateful to be writing for money. Like it's just a, like, and I, and no one is going to sell me a script. So it's like a weird thing where it's like, it winds up being nasty in a way, but it's also like Necessary. you do get the yeah. experience. Yeah. It's like the food chain has to exist that way. But anyway, the guy, um, the director quits Dude, uh, Shields, Shields takes, over. takes over. Oh, what I wanted to say was just that Shields is very good at his job, and you, when you are good at your job, you start to think that you can do everyone else's job. And I think it is a good lesson, even about like again, what's going on with the strike, where it's like you need the people who do their specific job, even if they're annoying, even if it kind of looks easy. There are details, there are specifics about being inside it. Like, of course, you could be an executive and also have a great understanding of story and be able to see what's wrong with a script or have a good idea for a script. But all of the nuts and bolts of like start to finish generating the entire thing, you need someone who does that. And so while Shields can be very helpful to his director, can see what he's doing wrong, can see what he's doing right, can make suggestions that work to from fucking day one, roll camera and get the entire film. What we find out is when he he takes over and there's this montage of like he was he was a different man he was generous he was magnanimous he knew exactly what he wanted and then they all watch the movie that he made his director shit. and it fucking sucks it, everyone hates it's, it um uh obviously I, I worked on star trek and I, I had to watch all the star trek movies to to pull information from but I, i'm also obsessive about learning how things were made and the um the story behind Star Trek V is really interesting because Star Trek IV was a huge success. It was directed by Leonard Nimoy, um, who plays Spock. And Spock, uh, Nimoy and Shatner, who plays Kirk, they both both had a clause in their contract which gave them like a parody clause where it's like, if he gets this, I get this. Uh huh. So Nimoy got to direct, I want to direct. So Shatner follows up and he directs five. But the thing is, four is such a huge fucking success. How do you top that? So the biggest, it was the biggest one they ever made. It was funny. It had it all. And Shatner's like, I know what we're going to do. They're going to find God. And he goes for it. He goes for this big fucking story that's like trying to like come up with like the fucking reason we were alive. And there are nothing but kind of bad stories about his ego, him overshadowing other actors, him wanting more. He's, he steps in the director's chair. Everybody loves him. He's incredible. He's like very uh, good at talking to the actors, helping everybody out, getting them what they want, making sure everybody's happy, comfortable, completely runs out of money can't ba balance the budget like the, the fucking effects like fall apart the movie just ends abruptly it's terrible but the jump from being like this piece of shit fuck you still has problems with george takei they're both yeah. like 90 years old and talk yeah. shit about each other and it, but at the time it's like yeah i love working with bill he's like a real professional and a solid guy where it's like yeah you flip some switch and it's like well now this is the job now i have to be the best at this i've seen that i've seen actors jump into the director chair and like 
the and like the crew who maybe was like frustrated with them as an actor of being like a little particular or whatever is suddenly like loves them and is like well they know what they want they know what they need from them. they're good at talking to the actors they're not really trying to get outside of what they do and be in charge of the technical pieces of it like and so fucking jordan Michael Jordan owning the the, the Hornets for a brief per- period of time, where it's or it, until thirteen years until recently, yeah. Um, where it's like, I've fucking done it, man. I've like I, yeah. I'm like a competitive. I've done everything. Like I'm gonna just transfer that over to ownership, yeah. And like you don't hear stories about like that ruthless son of a bitch, Michael Jordan. Like those stories, no. As no, they were yes. all from his playing days. Yes. Um, and it's like he didn't succeed at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, and so I think that like um, it just is a it's cool because they show him to be so competent at every level. Like he does successfully take this this director at the beginning who has like adapted this yeah. thing like he makes his movie into an award winning movie and makes it the way that he wanted. But he fucks him over and then he takes this actress and he's able to like make her a much better actress and like make her a star. And then he takes this writer and he makes him into like a a great like film writer and so it's like he is good at things but oh, wanna, he's good at his job not i, I want to recommend job. another book um uh space odyssey mm-hmm. it's the making of 2001 okay. it came out maybe like 10 years ago or so and it's um it does break your heart at moments because it does make you realize like how ruthless kubrick was about a lot of things but i yeah. think he was good at and that you that great directors are good at is hiring people of yeah. like everybody he got was very very good at their job and and you can it's a true collaboration and he built this great environment but then when it came time at the end of the movie to divvy out credit he pulled in this one special effects guy and was like hey just want you to know um i'm not crediting you as this and he's like what are you talking about he's like it's just going to be my name it's going to say written, directed, and produced by Stanley Kubrick. I'm sorry. I can't have somebody else's name on it. Wow. And the guy's like, okay. <laughs> I think it was Douglas Trumbull who was uh-huh. in charge of the special effects who would later go on and direct a bunch of, of sci-fi movies. He was an effects genius. Um, but it did break my heart a little bit of being like, oh, everybody's insane. Yeah, it's uh, it's easy to get, get caught up in that. Um, so Shields does, and then this is the scene, I think, when they finally do watch his movie, and it sucks, and everyone says it sucks, and they're kind of trying to, like, be, like, positive about, like, we can keep, we'll keep editing it. There's things that work, and he's just like, this is, I laid an egg, Nothing's can't even exciting. release it. every scene stinks. He, well, he, he goes, well, he's like, he's like, it's a great script, like, it the looks incredible, good. the actors gave a great performance, and the fucking movie sucks, but... It's all me. Um, but this was a scene where I I did think they went too far in him owning the mistakes. Like this is where I would have liked to see him maybe have a little more of his ego still intact or not be able to see this right away. This guy in real life would have for sure blamed somebody else. Yeah, or he would have like started out trying to say it was good, like the Van Damme thing with Predator, yeah. and then... And then had to shift to be like, okay, it's bad, but it's bad because of this other thing and like start scrambling. Or like but anyway, Shyamalan being like, I wanted it to be a comedy. It was a little too likable. He finds out that he's <laughs> like bankrupted his best friends. Um, yeah. That, um, like that he has. The happening is a joke. 
The, no, I was laughing. The room at that was happening. made. The Tommy Wiseau yeah, been like, yeah. the room is a funny movie. Yeah. It's comedy. I made that with. It's absurd. Um, but the <laughs> the thing that happens where he's like, I want to shelve the movie. I never want to release it because like it's so bad and it has my name on it. And they're like, we need to release it because we have no money. And uh, it's like people release bad movies. We can't just yeah. Like a lot of people release bad movies. Is like I can't do it. Um, that uh, checks out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That his his ego is so big that he'd rather be bankrupt. Fucks everybody. Than be associated. Over. It's and also the ultimate selfish act. Yeah. They invested their own money and they could recoup some of the money. Yeah. Uh, but he like basically kills the entire company in order to keep it uh, closed off. And he's kind of talking to the writer about like, what are you going to do next? And you're going to be fine. You'll land on your feet. And he. This was too convenient. He offhandedly mentions like, you know, it's crazy how uh, Gaucho and your well, wife died well, in that plague. I, I, I think I, it's it's a little, I, I, I liked how they did it in that it's the writer trying to make him feel better about it. Of like, yeah. they seem, they're, they're genuine friends. After yeah. the death, it's like, this is the only friend he's got. This is the guy who like. was by this, his side yeah. and helped him. And so it's like, hey man, I'm taking, I'm taking you out of town. And Shields is like, like, when are you leaving? And he's like, he's like, can you wait? And he's like, sure. How long? He's like, two minutes. I'm going to pack my bag. Yeah. He's like throwing toiletries in. And then it is insane where it's like, man, I told Gaucho not to get on that plane. Yeah. Ooh, boy. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm fucking up today. Yeah. Huh? Hey, boy, I can't stop fucking stepping in it, huh? Yeah, no, I said to Gaucho, don't put the wife on the plane. You might explode. <laughs> Um, so then it's like, oh, he knew I about the plane. I told Gaucho, I said, don't fuck her too silly, you guys. You know how you get, you can't fly when you're out of jizz. Come on, Escape man. a little bit in your nuts, Gaucho. She's married. <laughs> Why am I telling the you this? The jizz weighs the plane down a little bit. It doesn't go, it can't resist the wind if you're empty. Um, so he's- Of so, all the people to tell that to. Why am I bringing this up? <laughs> the guy she was married to when I said she's married, don't fuck her so. Um, but, These are the thoughts you have when you shave. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically that closes out the writer story. We learn how he got fucked over. And then, of course, the the end um, is Walter weirdly Pitt. satisfying where it's like he wants to work <laughs> with all of you. I, I love. Yes, I love the the very last scene. Um but Walter Pidgeon is like, and now you're complaint what? Just because he killed your wife, but you wrote a great book about it, and now you've got the Pulitzer. <laughs> um, so they all it's he goes like it's like like a oh oh, and he's got the book. And he's it's got like, the book, like and a, it's like a well-meaning lady. It's yeah, some, like corny. He type, wrote a yeah. book about his dad wife that then became like you know a this, huge, this yeah. incredible artistic <laughs> achievement. Um, and it's like you got your best work out of it. Who cares that you don't have your wife, um, who you did love, and there was not really an issue. Um, <laughs> doing just fine like as a novelist everything was fine yeah hollywood destroyed you um and destroyed her uh so he's like dude wants to work with all of you they're like no fucking way Get the fuck are you kidding yeah. me and then walter pigeon takes a phone call from shields being like he's i love yeah. to keep mentioning he's in paris and he's like this phone call is costing you 4.95 a minute just get off the phone shields you don't have the money like why are you on the phone still it's and like, then connect me to paris so we yeah. cut, like ocean to ocean they keep like adding to how complicated the long distance is and as they're walking out of the building they can hear walter pigeon going like this phone call is too expensive just hang up they said no don't explain the movie to me i don't care how good the 
idea is, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh, wow. And then they all pick up the phone in the other room and start listening in as Shields is pitching the idea. It's fucked up. It's, and like, it is a really solid ending and, of like, ah, fuck, he got she, us again. She's listening. And then the director's kind of like, give me, give, pull the phone over. And it's like, he wants to hear the idea too. And they're both listening. And then the writer's like, fucking give me the phone. I want to hear it. And you know, like, he's hooked them. Yeah. He's a great storyteller. He's charming. He's a manipulator. He is going to lock them back Until in they're all for another ride. Dead of heart and attacks. It's, yeah. Um, it's a really great ending of like, they can't resist this guy who did like kind of create them all um, and is now going to like make, you know, one more run at it with them. So I uh, I liked it. I liked the ending a lot. I did too. Um, I don't that's know. That's it. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's, that's it. Uh, now we die. Well, I think the I I think the soccer team's coming back to finish us off. Yeah. I mean, they're just out there looking at us. Yeah. They got been staring at us on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> They've got cleat hands and they're clomping them together. It's just like a workaround of cheating, right? Like the fuck like don't yeah. you're like, not allowed to use your hands but you are allowed to use your cleats it's like, like but who are these supposed rats? to be on your feet yeah and also like just kick my ass like it doesn't have to be soccer related well, yeah you didn't need yeah yeah right okay 